you cannot understand hero movies and comics and all this current age of storytelling unless you understand the arch nemesis. And today I have my favorite arch nemesis on the podcast, Andy Lowe, director of theater and um, theatrical productions over at East West Players. Uh, great organization. I'll let him explain more about more about it to you, what that is. Um, he's been working with me on GamerCon. Uh, we worked together way back in the day on some 8 bit Cubist projects. Uh, he's always been around sp speaking good information on stories, characters, themes, world building. Uh, he's got a lot of great insight on what Disney and Imagineering are doing. He's been... Um, just been all all around the block. We'll let him get into to it and explain that for this one. And he is going to be here. Uh, we're basically going to get into a lot of modern day storytelling and what that means for creativity. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but with with the internet, with the way we share information, with YouTube streaming and all of these platforms. Storytelling has really changed in a lot of different ways, and we want to get into some of the ways that really affect us as creators. Um, we want to know what we're digesting and getting into. Uh, we're going to talk about Shang-Chi, the great fan base wars of the late 2010s. If, you, if you're online and arguing about Star Wars, you were part of the great fan base war, so um, we'll get into that. Uh, we're going to break down some things. Uh, so if you ever had a question about storytelling, um, story structure, writing, production, we're going to get into that in this one. Um, so when he comes on here, we'll definitely, definitely be breaking some of that down. But uh, I do want to thank everybody for coming through at all these sessions. Remember, what I'm doing is weekly, I'm going to be doing an interview with somebody. And if it's on Instagram or offline, um, I'll be doing those, producing those weekly and producing those discussions, putting them out on uh, YouTube, putting them out on the podcast streams, you know, Podbean, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, et cetera. I'll put those out on the podcast streams. Um, and somebody even mentioned Pandora. So people are still using Pandora for podcasts. So whatever you listen on, uh, let me know. And I, I'm just kind of curious as how people are listening. And Spotify seems to be picking up, so maybe you want to try that. Anyway, um, so a lot of these discussions are going to be packed up and sent over there. A lot of the rambling yayas, they're just going to stay here on Instagram. But the more produced, more functional stories and things like that, I'll definitely be sending over to, to be archived on YouTube and, as I said, the podcast streams. So if we'll get into that tomorrow. Um, Oh, and by the way, I should post a comment here. Uh, let me know what you think of current day storytelling. Because that's what we're really going to be getting into. The, the way Marvel's changed things, the way comic book movies, streaming, binging, um, all that stuff is going to be, we're going to kind of go over a lot of that. So it's going to be pretty interesting. And as I said, Andy is my arch nemesis. And uh, the reason why I say that is because we tend to disagree on a lot of topics, but we still remain friends. So it's, uh, we've learned a lot from each other. And uh, if you don't have an arch nemesis, you need to find one. Just like haters. But Andy's not a hater. He's an arch nemesis. There's a difference. All right. What do you think about modern storytelling? 
yay or nay? By the way, yay or nay is my question that I ask when I want to get people's opinions on something. Basically, do you want more of this or less of it? Not yes or no, yay or nay. It's a very important distinction. Boom. What do you think about modern storytelling? Yay or nay? I'll pin that comment right there. And if anybody, uh, if anybody's got Andy, I wonder if I can comment on somebody, tag somebody in a comment and have them see it while I'm in a live. I don't know if I can do that because he's online. Nah, probably not. Uh, somebody head on over to Chinese pirate and, uh, tag him or something. I don't know if he knows I'm on yet, but, um, maybe I could send him a message. Try that. That I've never tried. Sending somebody, uh, yeah, I'll do that. Anyway. Um, so if you've seen, uh, Shang-Chi, any of the Marvel movies, um, Anything streaming, binge, uh, that's what I want to kind of know about what you think about that in terms of getting into this new era of streaming and contacting people and connecting with them while you're engaging in your properties. Do you tweet while you watch a movie, you know, at home? Do you search the internet for facts while you're watching a movie? I know a lot of people do that, kind of like they do with sports now. So it's really interesting. Get Andy up in his piece. Here's what you have to do. Uh, I've never had to do this on a, on a cast before. Andy's been on all kinds of podcasts lately. He's doing the whole circuit. I want to see what he's been, who he's been talking to. Whose, whose infectious minds have been telling him lies. Um, so, um, Andy and I actually met, uh, I mentioned, um, we were working together in San Diego. So when I was in San Diego, I was working at rockstar games at the time, uh, making red dead redemption, making, um, some other games. And that's where I, that's where I met in. We're going to get into a little bit of that story and we'll be, um, we'll be going over a little bit of our history and, uh, how we got to the place we are at right now. So I'll go ahead and bring him in. Yeah. This Instagram live thing is, uh, it's new, but it's fun. I like it. Uh, let me know what you think about it in the comments as we go along. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll adjust whatever I need to, but it's still relatively new. And I am about a hundred and two episodes in. You should see a request there at the bottom. Um, the little camera with the plus icon should be lit up, uh, allows you to accept or request to join. And don't worry, this is Instagram. It's all informal. Nobody cares. <laughs> people are going to be watching this later like they need to get their ish together you better hold on this is new technology this is it's the new era where we're going through here we're uh, building things when you're building things it's not always as clean as you would hope it to be but it's real it's raw 
That's how you're getting it from us. Let's see. So I've sent you a request there, Andy. You should be able to uh, see it. If you can't, send me a request. Hello? Hello, hello. Check, checking. How's that? There we go. Okay. All right, all right. What's up, man? What's up, man? Yeah, sorry. I was trying to see if I could do this from the desktop, but apparently not. Uh, <laughs> technically, you can, but it's a little difficult. Um <laughs> So I don't know if you remember last year when I was doing this through Facebook, I started figuring out that you could do it um, on on the desktop through through Instagram. But yeah, they don't they don't make it easy, and it change, changes every couple weeks. <laughs> so yeah, all right, let's figure out this. Camera kind of sucks though. I got a good little crack in the in the screen right where my camera is. Oh man! All right. Jeez. Are we, everybody you catch me here, this is this is wrong. It's not <laughs> not. And, and this, this is informal. It's Gary. Yeah, we just lay it out raw. I love it. All right. I'm settled ish. <laughs> as good as it's gonna get. <laughs> no, you, uh, you sound you sound good and uh you look fine. It's 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 all good. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, don't, uh, so yeah, we haven't done one of these since like, uh, last year we did it's been a little while. Yeah. So you were on the Benjicon roster last year. Um, you were not on this year, but, um, why did, why weren't you on this year? I didn't ask you. I mean, that's obvious, but, uh, I think cause I was probably in production. <laughs> okay. That may have, my brain was a little, a little scattered. That may have been it. Cause I was throwing around like not invites, but like, Hey, how's it going? You know, and to a bunch of people i don't think that you came up high on the yeah i'm ready to do this kind of thing right now list yeah i i just literally came down from um we've been shooting stuff we've been shooting digital theater the last uh two weeks um and you know this is a co-production that we're working on right now but um you know i was both kind of acting as kind of the facility manager for our space here at east west players as well as the COVID compliance uh, officer, and that's okay. a whole that's a huh. whole mess of stuff, right? I mean, because you basically are for every single person on like the thirty person crew and cast. Um, I, I'm going to track everyone's like test results. Huh. Some people are getting three tested three times a week. Some people are getting tested one times a week, um, and the people are only one time a week. Got to stay in certain places, and then you know. Uh, making sure PV, everyone's got access to PPE and, you know, yeah. so there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. <laughs> that sounds way more stringent than my Shang-Chi outing. Um, <laughs> you know, so I'll we'll get into that in a second, but, um, <laughs> so you're, you're, you're pretty, you're doing pretty good. Uh, in general, I mean, yeah. working a lot, yeah. you seem to be busy. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I mean, I am, I'm definitely of the fortunate folks who you know managed to to maintain a job um through this pandemic right and and still be in the entertainment industry which right. not a lot of people can say right um so thankful for that um I, i'm also very thankful that you know it's like uh, so for those of you who don't know um i'm the director of production at east west players which is the longest running theater of color in the nation or professional theater of color in the nation and the uh, largest professional producer of asian american theatrical work 
in the nation. Um, we've been around for about 55 years. Um, or, okay, well, it looks like you're back. Can you hear me? Oh, wait, yeah, yeah. I, 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 oh, yeah, okay, yeah. You've got 55 years, go ahead. Yeah, I've been around for about 55 years. And, um, you know, uh, just as kind of pandemic hit in, um, or, or pandemic kind of came in and, and started shutting um, theaters down, right? Uh, we, we literally had just finished going through all the rehearsals, all the technical rehearsals, and we're about to have our first preview audience for a very complex musical production of a Sondheim musical. And uh, we literally had to shut down the day before our first audience. So I remember uh, mentioning that, yeah. And that's like after you spend basically about almost 300, you know, about 200K to get everything up (laughs) and uh, not get to sell a single ticket. But, um, you know, over the course of the last year and a half, you know, I mean, a lot of people have kind of rallied behind us, Um, you know, knowing that this is a 55-year legacy institution, um, what this organization means to the Asian American community and to, uh, you know, the, the, the artists of color throughout the nation, um, you know, and, and our position in lobbying for um, um, diversity and inclusion work um, in, in the field. So uh, we've been very fortunate that a lot of organizations, funding organizations and individual donors have kind of come to our our, our aid in this time. Uh, and I love it's, it. Uh, yeah, it's like not every theater can can be has been this fortunate. Um, so a lot of companies have had to fold during this time. So but, um, yeah, what you're doing, you said, was a digital production. Uh, yes, I, I haven't heard that term from you, uh, so I don't know what it means in this context. But um, I, I'm I'm assuming this is something you started up in, during the pandemic, and now you're making a quote unquote digital production. What what is that about? So, um, yeah, it was kind of a thing where as soon as we shut down and we knew we were going to have to pivot, right? Like you cannot gather, you cannot bring people indoors into spaces. Uh, so immediately we kind of turned to a lot of our friends and allies in the Asian American community who are online content creators, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, AJ Raphael um, is, is, a, is a particular um, um, ally of ours who is now on staff, actually. Uh, we moved him to be kind of kind of our lead in terms of conceiving how we use digital content um, on this point forward. But uh, we started off with a number of um, kind of digital concerts. Um, Initially, we thought like, okay, could we do this over Zoom and just live broadcast, kind of like we're doing here? And of course, um, that's not the best way to present music because you can't can't actually sync up like musical performance and singers with the latency of the internet, right? so uh, more and more, it kind of became like music video shows. Sure, sure. <laughs> Where I'd be like, okay, just pre-record your, uh, you know, pre-record your your song performance, uh, or send us the music, and then we'll record and master all the instrumental tracks, and then we'll send you that to record your vocal performance, mm-hmm. and then we'll sync it up in editing, and then it'd be turned into like some people getting super like ambitious where they had like choreography in zoom boxes and you know crazy stuff so that of course like continued to to yeah. um expand and and as we continued to uh experiment with that format i uh, i would be i would be into that just because i'm like all right i'm gonna tune in because i'm gonna, I'm gonna see what they're gonna do now there was a dancing in yeah. the zoom window last time i don't know what they're gonna do today 
Yeah, I mean, we, we've done a number of them. They, uh, they're called t- Crazy Talented Asians, and they were basically just kind of cabaret shows that were done in online. And they were all, they're actually, many of them are still up. If you go to the East Coast Players Facebook page or YouTube page, um, and you can look through our videos. Um, a lot of them are uh, available free uh, that we did, but we would broadcast live still. But um, so yeah. are you doing anything? Um, like when people hear digital production, they just, they think, simply streaming um right but is it a little more than looking at a video on a screen i mean uh, you've got and, community going on there too so yeah i mean i mean we keep trying to figure out how do you keep this alive engagement right because there's a certain amount of trying to keep up quality um um and, and the reality is right like live theater is one thing um, and it is about being live and being there in the room, you know, the voyeurism of it all. Right? That 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 is an experience. That's kind of right, what right. makes it. Um, the audience feedback can change a performance from night to night. Um, with these, even with trying to do stuff on Zoom, you don't quite have that, right? Um, um, you can do kind of um, live commentary as people are commenting in the chat but it doesn't it's 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 a different experience right right so i mean i think we, we kept trying to experiment with things and we, we we collaborated with a number of companies who all wanted to try different things right so once we like we had kind of figured out what we were doing with the digital concert idea you know started doing more plays right uh we did a um a co-production with a company that was based in gosh were they in seattle I think they were in Seattle. Um, we, we, I can't remember. Uh, it was like the play was called Today is My Birthday. Mm-hmm. And this was the full on. No, not in Seattle. They were in Minneapolis, I believe. And uh, the idea was to do a production like truly live. So we actually yeah. had two actors here in Los Angeles who were in front of green screens and literally like choreographing when I, I stand here in frame and I'm at the blah, 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 and I cannot pass this. And they had a live video mixer who was, like, doing green screen backgrounds. Like, so literally, you have, like, two actors in completely different cities in green screen who are sitting in a movie theater, you know, green screen background. I like and it. Sharing, and sharing the same popcorn, because the popcorn is a digital effect. <laughs> but each of them have just like, a bag of microwave popcorn in their own home space. And they look like they're pulling from the same popcorn, but they're not. They're in completely opposite cities. Um, and that was kind of That's interesting excellent. to watch. It was like hard to tell if that if it was worth all the effort <laughs> because it was it was a lot of work uh, on a lot of choreography and a lot of people struggling with technology in their own homes. I think that is worth it. Um, just <laughs> you know, when we when I worked at uh, Sony. Um, they had a they had a miniature mocap studio, and it wasn't like a full on studio. The idea was just to get sketches done. So we're oh, at AM Studio, and then we had this little room with uh, a janky little setup. Um, really nice for what it, I shouldn't say janky. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> um, you know, uh, nice raw, mom. It's raw. Yeah, yeah, raw. You know, <laughs> it was a functional little setup that we all were happy with, right? Yeah, um, and I actually, I actually uh, brought um, Ashford over. Ashford was in the area, and we were talking online, and I was like, come down and visit the studio. And she was like, cool. 
So she actually visited the studio and she was like, I thought this was a mocap studio. And I'm like, listen. Yeah. <laughs> so what we what we did there was uh was basically we would suit up, we'd we'd sketch some things out, and we'd me- it immediately get sent over to some mocap guys at like um the the big Sony lot. Um, and then maybe, you know, Sony of Japan, it gets sent out to some other people. And it was basically a bunch of proof of concept stuff. And it was just a really fast process. And what you're talking about now, though, with the, like the split green screens and things like right. that, it's, it's like, yeah, that's a lot of hard work to set up. But I think that that knowledge and that research that, that really comes back. Right. Yeah. Well, and so ultimately what we've landed on the last two things that we filmed um, here, right, were ultimately they were one person shows. And the um, the idea was like, you know, trying to take advantage of what this format is, right, where you are kind of direct addressing the screen is like, can we create some level of intimacy when it is a, a direct address storytelling? Right. So uh, the, the show that we have actually that will be opening in a couple of weeks is called um, the, um, uh, the Sitayana or How to Make an Exit, which is an adaptation of the classic um, folktale of Rama and Sita from the Mahab- Mahabharata. This is like, you know, a, a classic Hindu, you know, epic um, story. Um, and this is kind of one of the romantic interludes of that story. But uh, there's this character named Sita who has become very um, idolistic, shall we say, of um, like the ideal woman in a lot of that Hindu culture. And um, um, this is kind of a feminist reclaiming of that character. Um, And uh, the, the director kind of had this concept of, you know, Sita is every woman. So let's take this play that is the same story of Sita told in a modern way. And let's have it interpreted by three different actors and three different ways of telling the story. Right. So there's one version that is like a teenager kind of gossiping in her bedroom about the story. Right. Then there is another version that is like um, kind of a a graphic novel, um, you know, pulp retelling. And it's all the same text, mind you. And then the third version is um, more traditional green screen um, um, elements that are traditional... um, Indian uh, Amindi art. Right. Um, so how is this presented? Is it like, you know, um, hey, here are the three different versions. Um, watch all three. Or are they interspersed with each other? Or what's the interface? Well, we, we had high ideas of, of being able to use interactivity to switch between the three versions at any point in the story. Mm-hmm. Of course, we are stuck with the limitations of the streaming platforms themselves. Yeah. So um, at which point we've kind of opted for um, a a system where there are nights when you can, like, I'm going to buy a ticket for the teen night or I'm going to buy a ticket for the the graphic novel night. Yeah. Um, Or there are some nights where uh, there's a little bit of, of audience interactivity where, you know, we question the audience and they make a vote and their decision will determine which version they see. Ooh, live, right. live bandersnacks. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's kind of what we originally kind of wanted to have, but, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very hard trying to figure, figure out how the platforms can facilitate all the ideas that the creatives have. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that, and that is where a lot of, uh, 
development design and mm-hmm. creative artistry, which is, and I think all artistry is based on constraints. So, um, you know, the true artistry of working within like, Hey, we have this, how do we express what we have to express? Right. So right. I, I definitely think you guys are on the, uh, cutting edge with that. Now, do you think you're getting a, a, a different type or you're getting a reach out to maybe a different audience because you can like, Hey, you know, um, uh, there's a large Indian, uh, American or yeah, Indian community in like, uh, Lansing, Michigan. I know cause I went to right. school in East Lansing, yeah. you know, it's like all of a sudden you're reaching out to them and normally they wouldn't be able to, or wouldn't connect with, you know, a, a theater group based out of LA. Yeah, no, actually we, we definitely have, um, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, I myself come from San Diego. And I grew up always kind of knowing that East West Players was out there somewhere in L.A., right? Um, um, I even founded my own Asian American theater company down there. Um, and it was kind of the thing of, you know, wouldn't it be great if we were like East West Players, <laughs> right? Because um, um, East West Players has been this kind of the spirit tip, right? This is the company that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, actors like Mako and James Hong and Pila Kuo all founded, right? Um, so, so hold on. So uh, in terms of accessibility, yeah. yeah, like one of the things we notice is like our, our classes are now that they're on zoom and online, we're able to offer acting classes to Asian Americans across the nation, uh, or, or even playwriting and screenwriting classes. And that level of accessibility is great because people who are like, you know, one of these days I would move to LA and figure out the business, mm-hmm. but now they have access to East Coast players immediately. Right. Yeah. No, I definitely think that uh, the connectivity is very cool. Um, for a while, when I was working with 8-Bit Cubist, it's like we got a spike from Brazil. And <laughs> I'm looking at my stats like, hmm, I don't know anybody in Brazil. I know a few people who have gone down there for like, you know, bachelor's uh, events or just to travel or whatever. But I know not- <laughs> it's like, I don't know how that connection happened. So. Um, well, maybe this is a good excuse for a trip. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Who will be my host? Two amongst my fans. <laughs> <laughs> it's a company. It's a company expense. There we. Go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, okay. I, what I didn't know from what you just said there is that you were in San Diego and you knew from when you were younger about the East West players. So you've had theater in your bones for a while. Yeah, no, I mean, I, uh, I grew up around it. Like, so my sisters, so my sisters were actually all like theater artists, like in college and high school. Mm. Right. Um, in fact, there was an Asian American theater company in San Diego before mine called the Pacific Asian Actors Ensemble. It was a company that my sister and brother-in-law were involved in and founded by uh, an actor named Tom Sesma, who I believe is in New York these days and doing a lot of, a lot of stuff, um, on Broadway and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, I mean, I had grown up around it. I was kind of the shy one in the family. I was the youngest, and uh, I was the one who was like behind the sketchbook. Like my sisters all sang, and I played the saxophone. Mm-hmm. And you know, my sisters all got on stage, and I, you know, was in behind the sketch pad. I, I had thought I was going to go into visual art, like you know, graphic novels, or even like you know, maybe storyboarding. Right. Um. Um. But, but uh, what happened was. I kind of got dragged in because of my level of activism. Um, um, because, you know, as things got very politically charged in the 90s and a lot of the mm. 
I did say narrative turned to, towards anti-immigrant sentiments, you know, in, in the, the mid nineties. Right. Um, I, you know, I started kind of recognizing how a lot of my Latino and Latinx friends, um, their experience and what they were confronting was very much the same history of, you know, my family. Cause like my great grandfather was a, was a railroad worker who was affected by exclusion acting. Of course, you know, like, I mean, I, I look at, you know, my, my dad's, um, birth certificate, right. My dad was born in 1930, you know, and grew up in, in San Francisco. He's a second ge- generation American and it, uh, his birth certificate, I believe had him classified as, uh, what, what is the term? I think resident, resident alien. Hmm. Because ultimately, even though he was like born in the States and therefore had access to citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't quite bring themselves to just call him an American citizen. Wow. Wow. Right. Um, um, because, and it wasn't until 1965 that they relaxed. They basically got rid of exclusion act and, you know, cause it's like the, the history of the exclusion act was, you know, 1885, I think. And it's like, okay, no Chinese. Right. Then they started bringing immigrants from Japan. They're like, okay, when we say Chinese, we mean everyone with slanted eyes. And they're like, okay, Filipinos, like, fuck, okay, um, the Bangman too. It's like, okay, just yeah. all go. Where am I in Germania? And then they're like, Portuguese, fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, that's uh, that's wild. So, um, fast forwarding a bit because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around, but we're gonna have a good conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's what we opt into. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I love our conversations. And um, by, by the way, uh, I. I I say things in text, <laughs> and I don't know how they come across. But I totally refer to you as my arch nemesis now. I don't. <laughs> well, see, I I refer to you like even when I pitched you for for Pod Squadron. Yeah, right. Like the way I described it is, it's going to be great. We have like a Roger Ebert Siskel thing where we're not actually like against each other. Right, right. That we would end up like you know debating. Yeah. Oh, just for nothing else, just to debate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, no, it's like we post something and I'm like thinking, hmm, I'm going to get a well actually for me. <laughs> actually. And then I know it's on. I love it. So <laughs> I jump in your group sometimes. You jump in by. It's, it's fun. <laughs> I, like, I love it. I got to say right off the bat, um, this is what, uh, you know, differences can look like um, when, when they're worked out well. We have fun together. We lo- I learned a lot from you. Um, so, <laughs> you know, and a lot of times I say something and you come back and I'm like, holy shit, do I know what I'm talking about? And I have to go look it up, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I just love the. I mean, as you know, I, I just love the discourse. I, I love, you know, I, I, you know, it's like for me, like that geek and pop culture space is a great, like, segue into intellectualism, right? I think to so. To ask big, ask big questions that get into philosophy, that get into to um you know uh uh political discourse and then there's a safe zone right because you're talking about things happening in space yeah. things happening here <laughs> yeah it, it's it's weird it gives us this um i you know i think sci-fi fantasy comic books etc you know and people will talk to me and they're like oh you just mess with video games and stuff but when we start talking i'm like the first one to jump into the real topics faster <laughs> and it's like i think that the the presentation of the sci-fi, the fantasy, the 
you know, um, whatever type of storytelling and fiction you want to talk about. Yeah, it does offer that bridge. And I think a lot of people can really relate and speak better, you know, if they've grown up as friends with this yeah. stuff, you know, where it's like, hey, we have this common base, no matter what happens, you know, we both like G.I. Joe, whatever, let's go. Uh, we can start there. And um, so that's what that is. And uh, real, real quickly, uh, before we jump into phase two of this, I want to thank everybody who's here. Um, be sure to drop a comment. This is a live, you know, we're doing it raw. We don't care. Um, yeah, so Tracy's there. Hey, Tracy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Josh Moreno Design. We got um, Wes Wise, Paul W. Jr. Mike Schwartz, who is a director colleague of mine, good friend. Awesome. Welcome. AA Peril is here. AA Peril. I'm sorry. Corey Rogers. Hey, what's up, man? Mikey C. Corey Rogers, thanks for coming through again, man. We love seeing you here. Kevin's Crossing. Timothy Oh, my, my. Uh, Kevin's Crossing, a fan from Pod Squadron. Excellent. What's up, Pod Squadron? Tracy is calling us handsome men. Have you seen us? <laughs> <laughs> and my old, my old friend beat up. Like, you know, I don't know if you know, um, Brian and I went to college together. Yeah, I think I think I need to that. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I think I gathered that. I don't think I knew that, but I think I gathered that. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, me, Theo, Brian. We were in college together, and the love of this kind of stuff kept us together. So um, we we would connect and we talk about stuff. You know, I noticed Theo would post about it's like, man, this is this is some bunk or whatever, da da da. And you know, and I'm like, I'm like jumping in. Yeah, man. It's not like those old Kung Fu movies we used to watch in the dorms. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Brian would, a uh, lot of, there was a lot of sports talk going on, but every once in a while, you know, Brian would say something about heroes. So I'm like, you know what? Between, between you, Brian, Theo, and a couple of the others, that's how we got started doing the hero group thing. So <laughs> that's actually how it was. Oh, killing the programming competition. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> we were, we were doing computer stuff together and, uh, we had computer competitions and programming competition for a while. That that's when I started getting raw, where it's like, you know what? You, you got to get on them keys and make it happen. <laughs> um, so let me do, let me do a fast forward. We got a little history yeah. on you. Um, we got, uh, we, we see where, where you've been for the past year or so doing crazy work. Um, but re very recently you've been on the Shang-Chi circuit and I I'll say, I'll, I'll jump back and forth. Shang-Chi, <laughs> I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to do that until you stop me. Um, but it's in Mandarin, so I don't actually know how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Kanto boy. So <laughs> I thought it was interesting that the trailer actually stopped. Um, there was that one trailer that they actually put that at the end where he's like, no, no, no. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, right? She's like, Shang-Chi? Oh, what? She's like, no, no, no. It's, I was like, hmm, interesting. And it started keying me into what this movie had to offer in terms of just right. um the first major MCU, well, first MCU offering with the Asian American League cast, et cetera, et cetera. So you've been on the scene talking about it, talking about mm. Shang-Chi. And uh, spoilers, everybody. We're just going to get into it. Um, you've been on the scene talking about it. What's the discussion out there right now? Well, it's 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 interesting. I, I'm actually I'm I, I mean I, I mean I really enjoyed it. A lot of people are really digging it. I mean, the new news as of today is that um, the world worldwide box office is 140 million 
Um, and the U.S. box office is 94, with, which which basically has it beating uh, Black Widow and ScarJo. Yes. I'm going to be petty. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, is, it is basically a record breaker, both for Labor Day movies and in post-COVID times. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, that it was, that was pretty amazing to me. Um, and I actually haven't seen a movie in theater since, since you and I were arguing about Knives Out. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Knives Out by, by Brian Johnson. And we were already, right. we were arguing about that online and then <laughs> doing the Kermit Furious typing at the keyboard about it. <laughs> and that was back then I was like, all right, I got to go see Knives Out like twice, you know, so let me go watch this. And after that, the pandemic kind of set in and everything. I didn't want to go out anymore. Um, but yeah, this actually got this actually got me out to the theaters again in a horribly unsanitary um, theater. Uh, it was just packed to the popcorn. No problems. <laughs> Let me tell you. So. So I walk in the theater, right? Um, yeah. Walk up. I, I got my, first of all, I was on Fandango trying to find different showtimes around me where I could get a seat that wasn't next to a lot of people. So I finally found a theater. I'm like, cool. It's not too far. I'll go check it out there. Get to that theater. I've been there before. It's usually a nice, friendly, quiet theater. And the lady at the front desk is just doing her thing, typing and all that. She's taking some tickets. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got an online ticket. I can just go around there. So as I'm going around them, though, I notice her get up, walk out the door in her little office, and another guy comes in, and they're like, excuse me, excuse me, right, right by each other. And he just sits down and starts typing. And I'm like, wait a minute. They didn't have gloves. They're just typing. They just, <laughs> they just, they just opened the door with, uh, with their hands. And, you know, the sanitizer's sitting there on the counter, but they just walk by it. They're just passing a ticket to the person. I'm like, oh, wow. They're just... They're back to normal. They're, you know, yeah, I think is normal. And so once I saw that, I, I kept looking around. I'm watching the food service people not being as sanitary as they could be. <laughs> I'm just imagining you like, like as you, as like you, you the, the the Hitchcock, uh, uh, the, the kind of <laughs> where like focuses in around you're just like yeah. <laughs> if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen the Invader Zim germs episode, this was it. You know. Uh, <laughs> where he, you know, he gets the glasses where he can see all the germs and starts freaking out, right? So, yeah. uh, remember um, Nick Cage in Matchstick Men, and he's an agoraphobic uh, heist man, mm, and like you know, yeah, it's 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 a whole thing where he's like he's a heist man. He comes up with these cons. Yeah. He's super agoraphobic, so it's like it can like screw up his cons where he's in the middle of, of a con and someone opens the window. And his eyes just start rolling in the back of his head. They've got like the camera where you can just, like oh yeah articles of dust and the beams of sunlight. Yeah, it's great. Hilarious. Yeah. So final straw. I mean, I was in there and I was like, you know what? I have a mask on, but let me just ask the lady who's gonna scan my ticket. Um, let me just ask her if uh she can give me another mask. I wanna see what they're gonna do. And she's like, Oh, mask. Like it was a surprise. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, hold on. And reaches down into a box. Pulls out a mask, bare hand, after she's been typing on her keyboard and hitting her little computer screen. She holds it out and just hands it to, like, hands on both sides of the mask and just hands it to me. And I'm like, eh, 
Yeah, thanks for the mask. And just <laughs> I ball it up, put it in my pocket, you know, and go to my seat. Uh, but even under those circumstances, uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed the film. Everybody in there seemed to enjoy it. It was it was a it was a good time. And <laughs> yes, before we go any further, yes, I did actually like it. Um, got some things to say about it, of course, because I always got something to say. But I did I did like. It. Yeah, I, you know, I, I will say that having gone through multiple like COVID compliance officer trainings, mm-hmm. um, it both makes me more conscious, and it's it's a combination of comfort and and discomfort now, because like when you get into the data and you kind of see it's like okay, there's a certain amount of there's nothing we can do to stop it now. We're, we're just, there's too much, um, there's, there's just far too much, uh, uh, reckless individuality in our country, in our culture that it's like, it's just not, you know, yeah. we've hit the 50% mark. Mm-hmm. We're going to be lucky if we get to 60%, we're never going to hit the 70 or 80% to get the, the herd immunity. Right. Yeah. At which point everything that we are doing is more about mitigation, right? Mm. We have vaccines, which will block most of it uh or they will help you fight off if you do infect right um all of the testing all of the things is really more about con contact tracing so that you can sure. mitigate it from spreading yeah and and that's extremely difficult at least in america as well the whole yeah the toll track me i'm already yeah i'm already on facebook <laughs> you know so uh yeah um you know, so I don't know if everybody knows the the theater. They have this thing called Cinema Safe, which I don't think is very safe at all. You know, I think it's just this organization they put together so they could rubber stamp all the theaters right. and say approved. Um, I looked at their website; it's pretty simple. And yeah, they're not being scientific. They're just like, yeah, yeah, we're safe, man. We're good. Thumbs up. <laughs> um, but it basically gives everybody, every theater chain, the the go ahead and the green light to say we're at a hundred percent capacity. We're serving food. We're doing all this. We're good. So yeah, I do wonder about that. And the, the main thing with that is that it's a, the primary thing is air filtration, right? You're in an enclosed space. If you can push that air filtration or that movement of air Mm -hmm. as high as possible, uh, and get the the MERV 13 or even MERV 17 right. filters in, uh, you can mitigate a lot of that transmission. But of course, everything below that level is like... A... So there's no way that I found to verify, you know, if they've got these new filters completely installed um, or if they're installed up to whatever the code is. You know, um, do they put one in theater number seven over in the corner and theaters one through 19 don't have them? I don't know. Yeah. I, I think to get the to get the rating from them initially, they have to do like a very thorough inspection. Okay. What happens afterwards? That's the re- the real question is in terms of upkeep, right? Because right. like those filters need to be swapped out every two months or something like that. Whether or not they're doing that, that's really the real question. Yeah. But so <laughs> as I understood, I remember the biggest concern they were saying was the the three main concerns they had were. Um, proximity uh to to other people and particles 
um, duration, because obviously if you're around a person longer and they're chewing popcorn next to you and somebody's whispering into you plot lines to <laughs> on the other side of you, you know, so you have, you have proximity, you have duration and, um, uh, forgot what they classified the other one as, but it was, it was general sanitation, which is, oh, yeah. you know, Hey, after the thing is over, are we wiping down the handles, bathrooms and everything? Um, uh, you know, I'm a brave dude. I do my push-ups uh, and drink my orange juice. I'm not on the Joe Rogan level, but <laughs> yeah, I try to I try to stay keep my immune system healthy and all that. But even given that, I do wonder about the theaters. So I'll, I'll do it for I did it for Shang Chi, and I was happy. Um, yeah. So, so where where did you see it? Uh, it's the first time I saw. I have seen it twice now. Uh, I saw it once with two different with uh, groups of friends. Uh, let's see, the first time I saw it was on Thursday evening in Century City and then uh, a theater in San Diego Okay. Um, uh, on Saturday. So, okay. yeah. Good. And uh, you you enjoyed it. You obviously... Um, I'm, yeah, I, I, should say, I should say obviously. <laughs> no, I did. I did. I did enjoy it a lot. Um, and I will say I was also pleased to see that it held up in a second viewing. Um, um, and, you know, because that's always the thing you wonder. It's like... With, all these blockbusters is like how much of is it of it is flash and will it will it hold up to to multiple viewings right right um uh i will say this um like in the couple of shows that i've been doing like reviews group reviews of it mm -hmm. um i am a little tougher on it than others because i i've actually been very delighted and surprised Okay. Seeing many people are putting this in their top five of all MCU movies, um, and uh, again, surprised. I was, I was delighted. I was just right? thinking, does it rank in my top five? Um, but go ahead. Yeah, um, I don't know if I would put it in my top five personally, uh, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. I will say that, like, one of the things for me is that so much of the film, um is an homage to classic Hong Kong cinema of the 1980s and 90s and early yes. 2000s. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I love seeing all these bits of homage or, you know, I mean, the cinematographer is the same cinematographer who did The Matrix. So you can see his kind of flair and style, which is totally mm -hmm. pulling moves from John Woo and, you know, uh, yeah. other visionary directors. You know, or, you know, of course you, you have Tony Lung in there. So like there's little moments where like, they're trying to play with, um, uh, uh, Wong Kar Wai's, uh, uh, you know, style cinematography and stuff. Um, but it's not Wong Kar Wai. It's not Sui Hark, Right. So just by sheer, like, uh, having been like a fan and purveyor of those genres and that whole market of cinema, um, it's like, uh, it's perhaps less flashy or innovative mm -hmm. to me than a lot of people who are unfamiliar with Hong Kong cinema of the 1980s, 90s, and, and early 2000s. Sure. So, so, which is, I mean, I mean, I'm happy it's working, right? You know, but uh, but it does make me go for all of you who love this. Go check out Sui Hark's Chinese Ghost Story. Go check out, you know, Wong Kar Wai's in the mood for love or, or 2046 go check out john blue's hard-boiled right right because because right. i mean you know you know not because of this you know Dustin Creighton, um you know he's doing great work 
but it is definitely homage. Yeah. Um, and, and it's good homage. Uh, but go see what he loves. Yeah. Just can see his love for that in, in this movie. It is funny. I kind of, you know, as I was catching up on to the, the different references, you know, the Crouching Tiger, the um, uh, Jackie Chan bust kind of fights. So you go, all, yeah. I'm, as I'm catching all of this, I'm kind of wondering, yo, is that little hairy demon pig chicken thing going <laughs> to... It, you know, is is uh is Sean gonna walk in the scene and they're gonna fly out like the you know uh the John Woo doves, you know, it's great, great. <laughs> um I just I just wasn't sure. Um yeah, yeah. If if you saw Shang Chi, uh let us know what you thought about it in the or what you liked about it in the comments. Um, you know, uh B dot says, I believe a lot of people were um were pitting for more big screen MCU. That said it was excellent to me. Yeah, you know, um, there was even the, even given the situation that I had, there it was on a big screen, and I hadn't done that in a year and a half. And my last experience, as I said, was Ryan Johnson. I didn't mind the movie, but I you know it was knives out, and I was like, "You did it again." Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I just kind of wanted to say that not to yeah. not to knock it, but to say my last theater experience. Uh, didn't really affect this. I still came in there good. I enjoyed it. Um, I really did like the... I liked... Normally, I think movies that try a lot, because I think they tried to put a lot into this. Yeah, I, I think, agree. I think the movies that try a lot, a lot of them fall apart to me. And I'm usually on the side of, my God, just make it a simple A to B to C, and then add on stuff on top of that, add on the frosting, and you'll be good. You know, but with this movie, I think they actually said, hey, we're going to add a lot and it's going to work out the first time. And that that was surprising to me. You, you know, what's really surprising to me. A, a lot of people are, you know, like one of the things I keep saying is people saying, you know, this is one of the best um, Marvel or superhero uh, uh, um, origin story movies they've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And and. And I actually would contest that supposition because even though it's the Shang-Chi movie and even though, you know, Simu's character is at the center of it, this is, this is, this is Wen Wu's movie, right? Like, if you look at, like, all the bones of it, like... The dad. The dad, yeah. Um, um, Tony, Tony Lin's character has the main emotional core arc. And... And in a, to a certain degree, like, you know, everyone from, from Shang-Chi to the, uh, 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 Shaoling and, and everyone, it's like how they are affected by him, how his grief mm -hmm. kind of sucks them into his black hole. Right. And, um, I find that really just kind of fascinating how, you know, I mean, and of course you have Tony Lung, who's one of the most incredible actors, you know, of yeah. the last 20, 30 years. Um, and relatively unknown in the West. Um, but he absolutely steals every single scene. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just like, you know, you just kind of linger on his, his eyes darting around, you know, yeah. and, and he, you know, you listen to the dialogue, right. And you go, okay, this is, this is typical bad guy dialogue, you know, where he just like, uh, yeah, watch your tone with me, boy. But he doesn't play like I'm obsessed or I'm yeah. angry or wrathful. He every single line is just filled with this pain, 
yeah, a man who does not know how to love his own children or anyone else and thinks like that bringing his wife back from the dead is the only way he can love, right? It's, you know, I think there was a a, a very, usually the the empathy, sympathy for the villain, it feels uh, maybe a little forced, but this mm-hmm. one made sense. Where it's kind of like, you know what? He grew up in the situation, had to fight for his own, did all this, you know, whatever. Um, ends up with the ten ten rings uh, that has been living with him all this time. Um, in his own way, he kind of wants to, you know, that's that. Uh, I don't know what you'd call this type of love, but you want to have your son with you while you, you know, do bad things. That's like, look, we're going to be a badass too. You got to learn how to treat people. You know, you got to learn how to step on them, and you know putting out this bad father uh, ideology. But, you know, like, as you said, it, I think it ran uh, a good thread through the entire story where everybody's kind of like, man, this this guy that's been around a thousand years is is basically, you know, we're, we're all following along in, in the wake of all his actions. And there's this one last action that he wants to take that we kind of got to yeah. stop. So... I was I was invested from that. You know, the, the, another thing that I didn't quite catch in the first view, I mean, it was right in front of me, but like I didn't quite catch it on the first view. The second view, I realized how much he blames Shang Chi unjustly for his wife's death. Mm, he has yep. the line where you were weak, you stood by, and you did nothing, and you let her die. And of course, he was eight. Right. right. Even he knows how irrational this is. But that that is the moment that motivates I'm gonna make you strong. Yeah. Right. And why it he turns to him to go assassinate the person the the guy in charge of the Iron Gang. Yeah. When he fights like he doesn't go kill the the Iron Gang. He sends his fourteen year old son to because in his twisted head, you know, an obsessed mind, it's like, this is your shit. You go yeah. fix this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I, I didn't totally read it as blame, but just that kind of disgust that yeah. the decision you made was to hide instead of to go, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Right, like right, that's, right. That's not the thing. Um, actually, uh, Brian, Brian makes a good point here. Um, plot drove Shang-Chi instead of the other way around. Yeah. You know, and that's actually one of my... One of my, uh, I don't want to say issues with it, but one of the things mm-hmm. that I thought was, I wouldn't have made that decision. Um, I'm like, I want to see more of Shang-Chi. Um, he, that one scene from like the trailer, you know, where he's got that really, uh, not disgusted, but almost vengeful face where he's, he's, a, he's got his fist in the print of the, um, of the wooden beam. Mm, yeah. You know, so there's this wooden beam that he used to punch when he was a kid to the point where he had bloody knuckles. And, you know, as a grown-up, he's looking back at it. He's just got this face like, you know. He's... And <laughs> that um, that emotion that he put out there, that I wanted to see pull the story along. And, right. and, and I, I want to kind of segue this into the uh, the the storytelling of, you know, basing it on a hero one singular person like a spider-man or an iron man um uh, you know versus shang chi which is shang chi 
in the legend of the 10 rings, a more comprehensive group kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, I, so this is kind of, you know, so the thing that, that we were, we were talking about chatting about like a, a month or two ago, right? I think this is the, that thing mm-hmm. where, you know, to Howard Ho's supposition of everything doesn't have to follow the hero's journey five act um, structure. Because mm-hmm. I don't think this does. I think this is actually, this is more of a, a descent into darkness um, um, arc, you know, descent into darkness, you know, and then redemption and then descent into darkness again. Uh, uh, okay. right. I mean, like the arc between him and Shang-Chi is pretty much the Anakin Luke Skywalker redemption arc, right? Where, mm-hmm. where, you know, very similarly, Shang-Chi decides I am not the assassin you want to turn me into and I will not kill you. I will yeah. fight you. And that's ultimately leads to the, uh, the redemption, you know, the, the last minute redemption, um, for, uh, when Wu for, for the, the Mandarin, right. Um, right before he dies. So, um, let me, let me get a little, little, uh, background to that whole story there. Um, for a while now, and I actually think that this is kind of where it comes from. You know, there's, I have this very, uh, South Florida, North Georgia, American, whatever, um, way of looking at stories. And it follows the, um, this thing called the hero's hero's journey this is the way i kind of look at a lot of stories i was like oh yeah basically that's it uh you get a hero he's got a situ a hero in a place has a situation goes on an adventure to learn more to fix it and to fight against an enemy uh or an ideology or something and then have a resolution where he comes back home in so many words uh put together by joseph campbell this literary egghead who broke down storytelling from, um, you know, back in the, from the Greeks, Aristotle, et cetera, et cetera. So his idea was that there's this thing called the hero's journey. And it's the way that humans generally tell stories and there are variations of it that are simpler. Um, and then there are variations that, that are more complex. Some people use, um, like Dan Harmon's story circle. There's right. the, uh, there's the fly something pyramid, uh, Freytag's pyramid. Um, you know, the, the movie method, the mini movie, uh, screenwriting structure. There, there are hundreds of these and everybody creates, I have my own called the joystick method, right? <laughs> go, go figure. Um, but basically that's where, that's where this idea comes from. And it doesn't necessarily mean hero as in a superhero in spandex, which is a misconception out there. It's referring to a protagonist going through this process. And that's how we tell stories according to the hero's journey. So now what you're saying is we're starting to see other storytelling styles from a more non-central character point of view, or I'll let you go from there. Well, it's that, that, um, so, I mean, I, I also have this fascination for the Joseph Campbell, but, you know, the hero of a, with a thousand faces, right? Because there is this archetype. And, um, you know, like we've had this conversation before where um, I've kind of linked it up to even it's, it's uh, so something that I recognized at some point was that when I compared the, the, the you know, the five points of 
of of uh, of a hero's journey story, it didn't quite line up, or sometimes it would line up with like Asian cinema, and sometimes it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was when I started to recognize that oh wait, there there is another hero's journey, because inherently, the hero's journey as we know it is is Western based, right? Mm-hmm. If we think of a story, is really just a logic form, right? Um, logic forms are how we process knowledge or ideas, right? Um, even down to language. Like we don't think about it, but we think in English. So the mm-hmm. syntax of how we process logic is based on that Western English structure. So the five points of a hero's journey story correlate to the five points in a sentence, right? Where it's like, you know, even if I ask, you know, um, to use the bathroom, I'll say, can I use your restroom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can find the seven points in there. The you know the introduction to the character, the subject is me, uh, the thing that I want. I want to find your your bathroom. The bathroom is the subject or, or the or the objective, right? Right. Um, that all fits in. But if you go to like say other languages and other cultures, for instance, like Cantonese Chinese, if I said where the bathroom is, I'd say. Uh, which is the Chisa bathroom, uh, hai is, uh, bindo, where, mm-hmm. right? There is no subject, right? There's no I, there's no you. It's just the bathroom. The objective is the most important thing. So I say it first. And then where is it? Mm. My question, right? My operative word. So, so when you think about, well, what does that tell us? That logic structure in syntax and grammar, what does that tell us about? This culture, these people—it's—it's it's also a much more—it's a pluralistic culture. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, uh, you know, even down to here. My name is Andy Low. If I were in China, my name would be No Zifai. Lao would be my family name. My family name is first. Mm-hmm. The family is more important than the individual Zifai, which is my Chinese name, right? So, so I'm identified by the family. I'm. I'd, identified as part of the unit of this family of the low family yes right so even the story structure similarly uh if you watch like any of the Wang fei hung the um once upon a time in china movies with um with jet Li, mm-hmm. the structure of the story is there is no character growth Wang fei hung is you know virtuous from the beginning of the movie and he's the same kind of virtuous to the end of the movie yeah and it's all of his supporting cast members who are who want to cheat the system or Aunt Yi who wants him to fall in love with her or, you know, um, Clubfoot who, you know, yeah, yeah. whatever. He's like beggar in the street and wants to make a little side cash. But ultimately, it's through Wang Fei Hung's like example that they realize, oh, my personal wants are less important than saving the treasures of China from the evil colonialist British people. Right, yeah, yeah. they all band together and they rally around Wang Fei Hung to defeat the sellout Donnie Yen, who is selling off, you know, China's treasures. Right, right. Okay. Like it is, it is that kind of pluralistic thing, and you can see those that kind of same mentality. Right, yeah. So that was kind of like like a breakthrough for me of realizing, oh gosh, I have to really rethink um, how I think about story, both in cultural context, but um, since another friend. Oh, but so. so what uh sorry i talked a lot no it's it's good that's that's why i have you on you know so what i was uh going through 
you know, my, my understanding of story, my understanding of uh, structure and how we tell tales to each other in different ways. You know, I was, a lot of people were, the, the, a lot of people that I ran into in these discussions would say, yeah, the hero's journey, you know, what if it's a family? And I'm like, okay, that's the same thing. It's just the family's journey. The family is the protagonist. The family's going through these steps, basically. And, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess so. And then somebody else can come up and say, well, what about, um, you know, some weird show like Memento? Doesn't that? I'm like, okay, it's still kind of doing the same thing. But at parts, they're giving you the resolution in before the, you know, before the action. They're just reversing some order. It's still pretty much the same thing. So I kept on finding all these different, um, you know, different examples of people saying there is no hero's journey or whatever. And I was like, these are all basic variations on, you know, what Campbell actually did. And I actually, you know, when you, when we start, first started talking about it, I had actually gone back and really read through the book to, and I was like, oh, you know what? I mean, I mean, this, this was early on before we were actually having like discussion, discussions about it. Um, we were just getting to know each other, I think. And around that time I'd started reading it. Um, but it wasn't until I saw hero, um, with Jet Li. Oh yeah. Where I started thinking about, okay, this is, this isn't just, I'm not, let me put it this right way. I was like, this isn't messy storytelling. This is a fundamentally different way of looking at things. It, right. It's got, you know, the story's kind of laid out where you've got this conflict between um, not necessarily the main character. The main character is representing a larger ideology. And right. you see it reflected in in the literally and physically, literally and figuratively in the, the different color scenes where it's like, well, here's this. Well, here's that. And as a group, how do we come together? And I was like kind of blown away. Like, there it is. At least, at least for me, there's yeah, that yeah. kind of bridge where it starts to say, okay, what it does a journey look like, um, or not even a journey. I shouldn't even uh, say that. What does a, uh, how is a story told in a not as linear, you know, subject predicate fashion, like you to use your sentence well, idea. Well, and, you know, and, and the, the interesting thing to me about Hero, right, is that Hero is an example of China pulling out all the stops. Mm -hmm. Like, that's them going, Americans, Westerners made Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That's bullshit. What is this crap? <laughs> that's not even a Chinese movie. Oh, what is this individual, all this, this, this bitch is going off on her own and getting people killed. That's like bad values and what are, right? And so, so Hero is their answer to Crouching Tiger and Dragon. Thing. If you like that bullshit, check out this thing. This thing should be awesome. And of course, America's like, what is this? This is like yeah. some, this is some like statist, you know, nationalistic. Yeah. This is kind of giving me some creepy vibe, right? You know? <laughs> but um, like you were saying, uh, and this is why I stopped myself on the quote unquote journey part of it. Yeah. It's because, hero the singular supposedly character the hero wasn't um it, it usually you know you know you say someone goes on a journey either they physically change they mentally change or they have a spiritual change there's some kind of growth or whatever 
and you know you end up back at the end um you know there are some shows where it's like rambo he's already fully formed character or whatever and you're just kind of going through the motions but there's still a little overarching kind of okay there was a bad guy now the bad guy's gone etc cetera, etc cetera. um and i think it just keyed me into the idea of not having that quote-unquote journey you know what i mean mm-hmm. where you know well now i'm an individual i'm going out to save the world and um it took me a while but i got it you know so it, it, it's interesting and I, ha- and I have reasons why i think that you and i kind of bounce off well with this in a second but uh, <laughs> but yeah that was just i'm sorry that was just my revelation on the yeah, yeah, yeah. any part of it now and so right so okay so this is coming back to you know i think i think like this movie shang chi uh back to shang chi a little bit right might be an attempt to react to there have been like what 20 25 marvel films mm-hmm. all that mostly most of them uh, follow the hero's journey um, um, structure. Pretty right? pretty strictly. Oh. Pretty strictly. Yeah. Um, like maybe Endgame you could... Well, no, Endgame still started... Well, okay, regardless. Um, but I kind of wonder... I, I know there are people out there that are like, oh, I'm sick of Marvel movies, or, oh, you know, it just feels the same. It feels commercial, right? But, you know, if... Like, there there are... There are those that say that there are actually seven basic plots or seven basic story, mm-hmm. right? And the hero's journey is one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also like I remember at one point you had put up a post asking, "What is an example of a story that um, centrals around a villain?" Right? And I started thinking about it, and this is when I started to remember. Oh yeah, I'm like thinking back to, you know. Uh, theater undergrad, right? And we're, you know, like I was, I was big into Greek tragedy, but um, um, at the time, but you know, you talk about the hero's journey, but there's also like, you know, the um, the rebirth redemption arc. There's the, uh, of course, you know, the the, the tragic okay. hero, the uh, you know, and this this story, which you could probably characterize as a descent into darkness and rebirth, right, or redemptions arc, right? Yeah. So I. I think that's a, I think that's a misinterpretation of the word hero. Um, okay. And because I think that, I, I think that on one side, you definitely got the less linear group thought dynamic, which is one thing. And then you've got these different types of plots. And this is where the confusion, I think a lot of people come in at because, um, Blake Snyder, who wrote uh, Save the Cat and was a script doctor in L.A., he, he wrote this book called Save the Cat. And in the, in the different types of story that he was breaking down, su- the superhero genre was actually one of them. And they said, oh, yeah, it's a hero story. And he's like, well, yes, but they're all hero stories in the sense that... I see what you're saying, yeah. They're all hero stories in the sense that there is a protagonist central ghost who goes on this journey and whether or not the central protagonist is an individual um a group of people a a family like a group of people it could be the avengers right the avengers is the protagonist or um you know some of your your uh location-based movies the city is the protagonist like you know if 
you know, if the city starts to fail and crime runs out, you know, it's like, well, the city's got to fight back and everybody's calling the police and somebody, some kid in some sports league is going to save the city. And at the end, when everything is all happy, it's like the city wins. So, you know, I, <laughs> the city wins. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm being, I'm being, it's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's the city, the time, the whatever, right. the ideology, um, Christianity and, you know, uh, Christianity wins, you know, it's fighting against, um, non-Christianity and in the end of the story, Christianity wins. So that can still, Christianity can be a hero is what I'm saying. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, one type of individual character and it doesn't have to be, um, like you're talking about a, a horror movie, um, whether it's a chase movie, whether it's a, uh, descent into darkness. These right. can all be framed underneath the hero's journey. But I on think, top okay, of, okay, you, you get what I'm going at. I do. I do. Um, um, I think yes. Uh, uh, so, so yes, there's usually yeah. Okay, so I will not disagree with that in terms of yeah, like 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 uh, a story will often cen centralize around your your central protagonist. That could be multiple protagonists. But um, I mean, I think the the idea of of the of the seven, like the seven plots or the seven stories, is that the what the story revolves around mm -hmm. leads to different stakes, right? Um, um, so that you know the the hero's journey arc is very much about self betterment. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and that is how we know the story comes to a complete cycle because what the, the, the lead character grows and therefore, you know, is able to face whatever challenge. Right. But that's a very different thing than say the tragic hero where everything revolves around usually a decision, right? It's not about character growth. It's about choice and consequence, right? The tragic okay. hero is one who must choose and cannot choose well because all choices before them are shitty. And, you know, so Oedipus, it's, it becomes a, a question of can Oedipus defeat his fate or, or escape fate, right? Or is he merely uh, a pawn in the grander existential themes of the world, right? Oedipus will kill his father and fuck his mom, right? Right. Um, and, and is a tragic figure because of that, because he has no good choices laid before him and how he deals with his smallness in the universe. Right. That's like the crux of that story of that story type. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, I, I tend to see that as a variation on a theme okay. where instead of a happy ending, you may go to a sad ending. Um, maybe as I said, like in the Rambo example, you just assume that, you know, he's had something go that went on before he became Rambo. So the assumption is like, well, yeah, he's got had some shitty background and they kind of allude to the fact that, you know, he was this soldier here and there, but they never actually put it in the story. But you just kind of like, I, I think, and I don't know. But I think the, the key thing is that for like the, just using the tragic, tragic, hero, tra uh, the tragic hero as, as a contrast, right? Is that character growth or character change is not central to that arc, right? It's there's what is central to that arc is consequence, right? Um, um, what happened, you know, and you can make the argument that 
most tragedies are about what happens to them. The story happens to that guy, which in a hero's journey um, format, you would say, well, that's shitty storytelling. Right. But, but, in, okay. but it's just, but this is a different um, format more, right? Not necessarily shitty. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe you hate Oedipus Rex. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting um, is I think that a lot of my, uh, I think, you know, we could go back and forth on this. And I didn't, totally. I didn't, yeah. want, I didn't want to start doing that. So everybody, oh, no, no. Check, yeah. check out the hero's journey, storytelling structure. Yeah. It won't make stories boring. It'll actually make them more interesting as you watch them. So, uh, you know, you want to also, also recommend, um, uh, what's his name? Scott, uh, is it Scott McKee? Oh yeah. Story, Scott McKee. Um, yeah, story by Scott McKee, uh, dialogue. Um, and then the seven basic plots are, 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 uh, by, from Jung, right. Um, yeah. who, who, uh, so. came up with seven basic plots. Yes, exactly. Um, fa fascinating stuff. And as you're watching a movie, like it's kind of amazing because you're watching you're watching a dance happening, basically. <laughs> like, like if you know if you know a dance step, at a certain point, the guy does this. You're sitting there watching a movie, like, okay, he's about to do it. He's about to do it, and then <laughs> he goes he goes the other way, and you're like, oh, okay, he got me. All right, nice, nice. <laughs> but very interesting stuff. Um, but I was thinking back to my as I was putting this together, I was thinking back to my history and your history, right? And how you came up through theater, I came up through yeah. uh, technology and games and whatnot. And I realized something that seems so obvious to me now. Mm. I've been thinking in terms of game development and character has a quest, character goes on quest. Oh, oh. quest. That's been my framework. Yeah. All of my life where I'm like, yeah, A, B, go do this, find some adventure, go collect that, go do this, boom. And you've got a more theatrical kind of theme-based, audio-based right. production. So along, along with me being from Florida and, you know, having roots in Louisiana and whatever, very American kind of Southern thing, and you having, you know, uh, a connection to this Chinese culture that I'm not as familiar with, you know, the larger Eastern culture yeah. that you understand and the theater thing going on, I was like, you know what? Not only is it where we came from, it's what we've been doing all this time with the that, game. That's, wait, I love that you brought that up. Okay. Cause you know, cause I have thought about this. I have tapped your brain a number of times, you know, cause okay. So I'm also like a huge Disney, uh, Imagineering and theme park nerd. Yes. Like I was like, I love that stuff. Uh, cause I also have a background in design and as well as a storyteller. And I'm, I am absolutely just fascinated by the idea of immersive design as a storytelling method. Because it is so different than what I'm used to, because you have a script, you have, you know, a, a path, to, you know, a, you have themes that you run characters through. Yeah. But your head, and I've capped your head for this, right? Because it is always um, not even protagonist driven, but, but player driven. Because you, in that world, as in theme park world, you can't control your lead protagonist because the protagonist is the player or the guest. Right. So... So, so you, you almost, you know, it is that same idea of what Walt Disney used to call, you throw up a weenie to, as fate to get people to go to the mountain, right? Yeah. And as you get to the mountain, you'll see the other rides and the other things and that will draw you in, right? Right. Which is very much the, the kind of mentality uh, for you creating a player-driven experience. I mean, it's, it's experience design at that point. Yeah. Um, 
and that's yeah so that whole experience and what happened um and things like that it's um i I think it's funny i'm I'm just racking my brain going back to all of our discussions you know (laughs) where it's like well the character is important and i'm sitting here thinking well, yeah, but he didn't. He didn't do the the steps, you know. Or, <laughs> or it's like you know, where where you know, I'm thinking, man, he did this and then did that, and did that, and you're like, and you're you're like, well, who is this guy? Why did you know? Where was the presentation of this and that? He didn't show up. <laughs> I don't even know where he comes from, and I'm like, ah, it's not important, and you know. <laughs> I because uh, I love how all of this comes together, and yeah. I, after all these discussions and, uh, you know, threads, I've started to realize, and um, I actually verified this in a business book, right? So that there's this, that people are going to see things from different angles, right? I mean, this is obvious, but it's not so obvious when we're putting together a story, a production, a presentation. It's like, um, if you think about the the idea of the, I don't want to put it in the funky terms. I'll put it in like uh, mind, body, soul, and society. Okay. You know, where you're thinking of things in terms of uh, the mind, where it's uh, mental, a very um, logical, state-based, whatever, mathematic kind of thing. That's the mind. Uh, the body, where you're dealing with, okay, this is physically where I'm at. Okay, that tastes good. That tastes like chicken. I like this. It's a very visceral. Sensory. Like, yeah, sensory kind of thing. Um, the social, the, uh, sorry, the spiritual, spiritual slash emotional, which is this amorphous kind of thing. It's like right. a distillation of maybe, maybe the social, mental and physical together. I don't know. It's just this kind of thing that we all kind of accept. Yeah. And, and then the social aspect of it is none of us ever exist on the island alone. It's always everything we do is pretty much in context of other people, right? Mm-hmm. So I've had this idea for a while. My mom put me on it years ago and um, I was going through a business book and it's like, yeah, if you need a business to run correctly, you got to realize that you're going to be dealing with people on these four platforms, you know, mm-hmm. and, they, and they matched up to the four that my mom had talked about from her books and everything. And I was like, holy crap. So I go, I, I go back to work and go back to, uh, you know, work or whatever. And I'm sitting here thinking, I need the physical assets of the, you know, this thing to get worked out and it's a more action-based thing. The physical side is more more action-based. So I'm like, I need these assets. I don't care if they're good. I don't care if they're whatever. Get these assets in this folder so we can compile the game, please. You know, (laughs) the, the artists are on more of this, the spiritual side. They're like, I don't know, man, this stuff doesn't look right. It's not feeling, you know, I don't know. I'm not comfortable with, and I'm like, my God, I'm going to go, you know, I'm just going to go crazy. <laughs> um, one of the social guys, instead of helping me, he comes over and he's more on the social end of things. He's like, hey, man, listen, um, do you want me to order food for you? Because, you know, and I'm like, he's interacting with me on a social level. I just need right. assets. I just need assets. <laughs> I'm like, get out my face. <laughs> like the 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 mental side of things um the producer is actually over here planning out a chart like well if we don't get this done by tomorrow it's going to be this and that and where he's trying to figure things out and i'm like action just give me the assets 
it, it, that's interesting. So I mean, I've I've heard variations on this. I hadn't applied it to I hadn't applied it to um, group dynamics or management dynamics um, before. As I said, it came up in a business book and it blew my mind because it had me thinking back to all of these work situations, that, you right. know, like the example I just gave. So with that in mind, I started, um, and this was a couple of years ago, actually, that all this kind of came together and I was just like, oh my God. Um, I started looking at stories that way where you watch people when they're enjoying a story and they're like, I really like that character. I like the way it did this and that. And you talk to somebody else and it's like, yeah, me and my friends were all talking about Marvel movies. So it's me and my friends talking about Marvel movies and there's a social aspect there that they're all keying yeah. into. And right. It's, it just kind of blew my mind. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing stuff down. I don't know what it's going to lead to now, but it's, it's pretty phenomenal seeing how different people interact with these films. Yeah. 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 That's cool. That's cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, you know, and, and it's like, um, having worked on a little bit of experience design projects too, right? It's like you try to uh, you try to design the experience to to appeal on each of those levels, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's got to it's got to engage well everyone, but also you're hoping to hit at least two of those markers, yeah, with everyone because that's like one is like how they're used to engaging with something, and then the other one is the surprise, and that's what makes it magical, right? Right? Yeah, and um. And for what it's worth, uh, you usually end up with end up with the um, mental, physical, or mind and body on one side, and the spiritual, social, or you know, or the uh, emotional, social on the other side. So they're typically kind of weighted on those two sides. Um, you know what? Okay, something else about this actually is I also this actually corresponds with what I like to call the 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 compass of personalities that you have when you're creating your ensemble of characters right mm-hmm. the most easy uh uh like 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 example of this is star trek because okay. you have your north south and east and west personalities so you have your kind of ego or your id who is like your captain kirk who's a man of action and he's just like makes the decisions and then you have your logic and like, you know, uh, uh, thought centered, like Spock is always getting yeah. up with the plan. Then you have your full compassion bones and just like all is grumpy because he just feels so much and wants everything yeah, yeah. saved and gets angry when, when, when Spock, uh, is willing to sacrifice lives for the greater good. And then the other hand, you have the heart, you have Scotty, who's like, you know, he represents the ship and everyone loves the ship, the ship, right? And you can take that and you can apply that to the Golden Girls because there's a Kirk Golden Girl and there's a Spock Girl. Yeah, exactly. You can take that to the Ninja Turtles and you have Leonardo, who's the the, the man of action, and you have Donatello, who's the the planner and the the, the gadget head, and you have Michelangelo, who's the heart with the pizza, and he's just yeah. a fun loving guy, and you have Ralph, who's like like so passionate that he's just angry at everything or sarcastic, depending on which version, right? But yeah. but but that's like your your character dynamic. For basically everything, you have a north, south, and east and west pole for every like ensemble. Yeah, it's it's incredibly fascinating to me. Um, and so now I'm much more uh, accepting. And it took and here's, <laughs> here's how I'm going to transition. It took okay. the great fan base wars for 
<laughs> for me to start understanding this. Uh, the great fan base wars, if anybody's listening, it, I, I call it that. It's basically <laughs> when the internet just started turning into a shit fest of, <laughs> of, you know, hey, I like this. And somebody else, well, fuck you. <laughs> it's like, well, I like this. How do you like that? That's trash. It's like, it. yeah, I like this. Hmm. You know, only murderers and, you know, pedophiles like that. Like, <laughs> it, it was just this weird dynamic. And it came to a head with The Last Jedi. I, that, you know, I'm calling that like the great battle, right? Right. <laughs> That's when lines are drawn. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. We've gotten past the worst of it, you know, but there's still like little skirmishes happening, you know, here and there. Um, you know, I mean, do you know what I find kind of interesting is that the the fandom war that was spurred by the last Jedi we're gonna be done may have actually fashion. been may have actually been mended. By kind of a universe, an almost, I won't say entirely universal, but a almost universal, like, re-embracing of the Phantom Menace, which I find so bizarre. <laughs> oh, right. Man. Yeah. yeah. People who were troubling on Ahmed Best, who were like, yeah, man, that would kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Jogger's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. Um, and, you know, we don't have to delve into it. <laughs> I don't want anybody flaming me in the comments or anything. But just just for context sake, uh, yeah, we did a we did a top ten, and you know, this is I'm, I'm saying this, you know, and we've discussed this online before. We did a top ten, and I just wanted to see what people would put at the top and bottom, and it was very enlightening. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, let me step back and try to understand people a little more because there's clearly. In this new age of storytelling and um, conversation and just getting along with people, there's definitely, we're, we're in a new place. And I don't assume that these feelings weren't out there before. It's just they never got exposed in this way. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm glad we're in, in a better place, definitely. But um, as far as like, uh, you know, arguing over, you know, how this is versus how that is. Um, yeah, I, I think we're past the worst of it. And now we're starting to just now figure out, you know, okay, we can, we can have these arguments and it'll be fine. And or maybe, I mean, maybe people are just tired of it. I don't know. Or we'll just, you know, wait until the next star Wars movie comes out and we'll find out. <laughs> See, I read how, how red squadron is. <laughs> Yeah, um, but, but I mean, you know, um, you get a couple, and I think even the YouTubers, man, this one YouTuber was uh, was talking, and he basically confessed. He's like, yeah, man, I got depressed uh, from, from making all these YouTube videos, and, you know, I was having, like, major social problems, and yeah. the whole reason why, he said, was because he was trying to get views. He was trying yeah. to get clickbait. He was trying to follow the algorithm. And yeah. he basically broke down and was like, yeah, man, that, that ish ruined my life. I am, I am physically, physically and socially damaged because of all those YouTube videos he, that this is him talking. He was yeah. damaged because of all the YouTube videos he created and all the anger and ire he stirred up 
And of course, it comes back in your comments and your tweets and everything. But every every night, you know, or every time he did a video, you know, he'd have to face the fact that people were just like, man, F you, this was a good movie, or F you, you know, they're wrong, you're right. And so... Well, I mean, to to your point, too, you and you just posted... um, what um that that graphic from um Simu Boo's yeah Instagram yeah that, that is, that is a collection of screenshots of various YouTube videos about how Shang Chi was gonna flop yeah right or is still a flop yeah right yeah which is just kind of fascinating like the world and where we are in <laughs> yeah so it's this weird political and I say political because it's the easiest example of well, you know, you have an idea about something and somebody else has an idea about something and usually it's fine, but then you start to add on, well, that's, this guy likes pie. I like cake, you know, well, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just going to take all the pie frosting and throw it away. And, you know, the guy, oh, the guy <laughs> like, oh you're gonna take the pie frosting. Well, I'm going to take the cake sprinkles, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, oh God, now we have this dumb fight. And <laughs> And people start, it's not just one thing either. It's never just one yeah. thing. You start getting this collection of things and you end up with, we're over here and we do this. They're over there and they do that. So I can, I'm talking to a friend and I'm like, how did you get involved in X, Y, and Z? And he's like, well, I really didn't have an opinion, but everybody I was around and everybody who shared you know, these X, Y, and Z values, they all believe this. So this other thing, this other thing just kind of came along with it, you know? So it's like, wow, this person might've actually, you know, liked Shang-Chi, but for some reason, all of his friends wouldn't have. So he just kind of added that to the pile of things he doesn't like. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's, It's interesting. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know that I know what that's about. Right. I mean, obviously there is an element of of how the internet kind of sil- naturally silos conversations or, or silos, you know, a, a, a platform. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's weird. And it was uh, particularly, particularly heavy for me, I think, because, and you as well, as a creative, because you start to get into these situations where like you're just trying to create something and see what people think and you're trying to put it out there um i had social media anxiety for a while because on a micro scale i'd post something and i noticed this group of people didn't like it you know just didn't didn't put the little hearts on it and then i post this and all these other people post hearts on it and i'm like how do i resolve this I'm sitting here trying to, you know, bring together oil and water. And I'm like, you know what? Right. That's I'm, I'm getting caught up in that, you know, and I don't want to have to pick a side. I just want to kind of flow with my energy. Right. Right. So it's, we're in this weird place with, uh, social media and entertainment now. And yeah, it, it's all fascinating to me. Um, and well, and, and it's also how, you know, the, like it's it's there's so much ownership over content, yeah, right? Mm. 
like yeah. your content isn't just your content is now like part of your identity. You know, are you a Star Trek person or are you a Star Wars person? Are you, yes, yes. You know, an anime, you know, and, and that's, it's, it's, it's like, it's how it's, you know, or, or, or to go back to another old conversation, right? It's, it's how fandom has truly met its, like fandom, okay, fan properties, geek pop culture mm-hmm. is an expansion upon, um, what mythology was or at that time it was religion right um it was what we believe or how we made sense of the world around us or our values right Mm -hmm. and it has almost crossed over into to the point where it is a religion again where we're so you know worried about the canonicity of things it is like you know the 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 papal college you know (laughs) um yeah Fighting against the Protestants who are like, screw you, I'm not a printing press. I'm going to make my own Bible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, oh. and I, I just, it just clicked what you said. I got a star in my belly. Thank you, B-Doc. Um, <laughs> it just clicked. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, I want to, uh, it used to be easier and more fun when there were these little differences. And, you know, it's like, Star Trek guys versus uh, Star Wars guys. It would be, you know, you joke at them, but it was kind of in a funny way. Like, look at those Star Trek nerds, you know? Yeah. Not cool. Even, I'm in my, I mean, Wookiee outfit here. And look at Star Trek nerds. It's like, but it was, I, I still love that dude. The, the dude who basically dressed up as in a Spock costume at the line to go see Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And basically does the, who is, and then it flips down like that. Yeah. It's like that's just comedy. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I admired I admired sports teams for this. You know, I mean, a lot of people in sports, you know, it's just kind of like, man, you know, Atlanta Falcons suck. And everybody's kind of like <laughs> yelling at each other. But it's kind of fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere some lines got crossed and now, now I actually have to watch myself, you know, because <laughs> I'll be talking to, check this out. I'll be talking to somebody. I'm just kind of flippant when, and happy with my things, but people who don't know me kind of take things a little too seriously around me sometimes. But, um, I got pulled into an office once, right? And it, it was after having not an argument, but I remember saying to the coworker, I was like, Hey man, what the fuck is this? He's like, well, it's this and this. Man, this bullshit. You know, he's like, oh, like, like what you did was any better. And we're just kind of like going at it, figuring out problems very quickly. I'm like, and I'm in, in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, well, he didn't mean to do that, but he did mean to do this. That's what I learned from that. Okay, he's doing this. Right now, this is more important to him than that. This is what I'm learning in my head from this little banter. But right. to the to whoever it was, it just sounded like, I'm aggressive, F you, you know? <laughs> and the other person, actually, I don't even know who started it. I said it or the other guy started it at me. But basically, um, at some point, a couple of days later, I get pulled into an office and HR tells me, uh, I don't know how to say this, but um, I'm going to have to write you up. And I'm like, what? For what? And it's like, as I said, I don't know how to say this exactly but we can't have you acting the way you do. And just sat there and looked at me and I'm like, what? 
So I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, there have been reports that you're acting in ways that aren't in accordance with the way that we do things here. I'm like, in what context? I can't divulge that information because <laughs> it may implicate the other party. And I'm like, Great. this does not help. I'm just like, that's the way you want me to like sign off that I was, you know, not in accordance to something I don't know about, you know? And, and they're like, yes. And then I'm, I think back, I'm like, is this about that argument I had with the other coworker? Did, did someone see that? Because we do that all the time, you know? And I don't know if I should have said that part, you know, but we do that all the time. <laughs> but basically it really made somebody uncomfortable. And I was just like, oh, it wasn't that bad at all. But right. they couldn't even, it was to the point where they couldn't explain the situation enough because I don't know, maybe somebody else was in the room that I would have recognized if they right. described the situation. But it's it was weird to me that we've gotten to this place where you know, you throw a tweet, you comment on somebody, something, somebody sees something and the communication is kind of weird now, um, yeah. at least weird to me. You know, maybe I'm just getting to that next generation point where anything, <laughs> anything coming up Thanks these days. Yeah. You know, <laughs> shake my fist at the kids. And <laughs> get off, you know, get off my, uh, my internet law <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Um, someone actually said that to me once before. Um, almost in those exact words as a kid. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, I was teaching this kid how to ride a bike. Right. And he was one of my friends. I taught him how to ride a bike. Um, and at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, man, that was cool. So I'm going to go to the arcade tomorrow. Got to get my allowance. So yeah, you want to go to the arcade? Me and Ken are going. Ken's my down the street we're going to the arcade and we're sitting there talking and you know all of a sudden i hear this uh i forgot the kid's name actually we'll call him daniel daniel right and it's like, like oh shit what was that so they have this old man looking through the screen door <laughs> his son little white blonde haired kid for context in north florida south georgia for context um you know runs across the lawn to the to his dad listens said uh-huh uh-huh it comes back and I'm I'm standing at the edge of the lawn by the mailbox. He goes, my dad said you can't be on our property. You know? Oh. And I was just like, oh, all right, we'll see you at the arcade tomorrow. And he, <laughs> I'm a kid, right? A little young yeah. kid. I'm like, You're okay. Like, I'm like, oh, maybe he doesn't like the grass or me standing on the grass or whatever. Right. So I jump on a bike, roll off. Never saw that kid again. Wow. Yeah, he's just fine. Wasn't able to hang out with him. Never saw him again. Um, but, the, but this was the kid who you taught how to ride a bike? Yeah. Damn. And, you know, um, yeah. so maybe all of that underlying stuff that we never cleared out and, and you know, it doesn't have to be as heavy as, you know, right. Southern racism or anything like that. Um, maybe it doesn't have to be as heavy as that. But I think now in today's age, there's just a lot of stuff that we haven't really opened up about it, discussed. We haven't seen people who post stuff on the internet who think wildly different than we do for whatever reason. And now it's, it's coming out and suddenly great fan base wars. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, that's the thing, right? It's, it's not just the fan base, right? It's, it's in so many parts of culture. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing, you know, uh, related, but not this particular thing. But, you know, I, I mean, I was been talking with a few friends uh-huh. lately about how, okay, so there was this meme that came out and it was basically, hey, Gen Z, you're going to college right now. If you want to get in good with your Gen X professors, you know, go watch all this old television and see these old fucking movies because then you can get their pop culture references and understand what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. And ingratiate yourself with them, right? And it occurred to me that, well, that's actually kind of true, right? Because the kids, the Gen Z folk are growing in September. They're watching YouTube and TikTok. They're not even really watching TV or movies even, right? Yeah. And they have a constant stream of new, new content. Yes. As opposed to us where we were like, you know, you'd get maybe one new episode of yes you know he-man in in like three months yeah you'd have constant barrage of reruns um shit from the 60s from like different strokes and like yeah. you know uh you know and then you know and then you wait until eight o'clock and you get a new episode of Cosby show you in different world but you like you miss an episode of the serial season yeah and you don't see that until like two years later yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but like, but the thing is, with like, you have all these other reruns of all these other things to fill in, right? Like when 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 Knight Rider goes off season, then you get like reruns from last season to, to yeah. fill in that time, right? Um, but now, yeah, it's like it's just you you never have to go and rewatch anything, yeah, ever because there's always new content, yeah. Which means there's less like common culture who reference right I see where you're going with that yeah yeah so so it, is a, it was a completely divergent like cultural experience right wow i had never thought of it in that exact angle um and this is this is kind of what i want to close out on where we are with uh storytelling and creating for this new connected bingeable um you know, rewatch, download, stream, whatever you want to call it, era that we're in. Um, because it's it's highly fascinating. And I think I, I, you know, a few brain cells exploded in my head when I watched Loki. Mm, yeah. yeah. And we, I don't think we ever really got to talk too much about it as a whole. But I, I thought that was brilliant. And as, a, yeah. as I'm watching it, I'm because I'm like talking to people who have never who didn't care about Loki and they're still interested. I'm mm-hmm. talking to people who are like crazy Marvel fanboys, and they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. The Council of the, the Council of Kings came up and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, this is on some other future side parallel universe, back to the past kind of right. storytelling that Marvel is frankly at the forefront of, you know, mm-hmm. And I, you know, um, I don't know if you know, but like, oh yeah, we did talk about the trailers, how they're editing trailers now, um, that have stuff in them. That's not necessarily in the final product, um, where the trailers are edited, where things may be cut out. Like you didn't see another character in the, or just like complete subterfuge, right? (laughs) Exactly. So you've got trailers that are telling the story, um, and you don't have to start from ground zero. You have previous movies that are telling the story, 
you've got the consumer discourse. So you can get into, you know, Easter eggs or super deep dives on the internet because you just understand that, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Somebody in the discord channel or his friend is going to tell him, <laughs> you know, I mean, you wouldn't believe how much chatter I heard at certain points of like, um, in, in Shang-Chi, um, somebody said, uh, what was it? There were two times I heard people chatter, uh, audibly, you know, cause I was trying to concentrate in the movie. There were two times, one when, um, when the auntie said, um, Hey, you know, the 10 rings are the most powerful, you know, force in this universe, you know? And I was like, you know, <laughs> I, I think I heard you hear that. <laughs> I think I heard somebody else mumble like, Oh, multiverse something. You know, I think I heard that. <laughs> like, like a few rows back. And the other one was um was when they were uh oh gosh, what was the, what was the other one where I heard a lot of it was let me like when Trevor showed up? No, no, not when Trevor showed up. Um but when they were talking about uh interdimensional beings. There it goes. Mm -hmm. Um because that's been something I've been keying in on. Um right. the whole Shumagora tentacle yeah, to yeah. interdimensional being connection. I'm like, well, if it's tentacle, yeah. that's interdimensional beings now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and that was, that was, you know, I mean, because I've been watching What If also, right? And so we have twice now seen a tentacle beast through a portal, uh, you know, get fought off, yeah. you know, by a Marvel hero. So like when they had the portal and they had tentacles start and come out, right? I was not expecting like a full on. Well, I mean, I guess you know, I, I was kind of wondering if like, okay, are they are they going to call this back like to as recent as what if? Like yeah. they're like, if they did it, that would be really impressive because that's like that's a lot of pre production planning uh, and release schedules. But yeah, and you know, I think well, let's see. I think it could have worked. I'm trying to think story wise if anything messes up, mm -hmm. but I think it could have worked before or after. Just as long as you show enough tentacles and <laughs> you show enough tentacles and it's coming through a portal and you mention interdimensional beings, you know, so, oh God, here we go. I didn't, I didn't want to get crazy Marvel deep here, but <laughs> you've got, uh, the regular universe and the multiverse, you know, multiple universes. And then you've got, um, this, these pocket areas that aren't affected by the main universe, which is where the, t the TVA exists, exists in the right. quantum realm, right? Pocket universes, and then there's this weird thing that they've started to kind of intersperse in their language called interdimensional beings, and right. So I had to actually, I didn't know too much about Shumagorath, but I knew that, I, I know what he's about. He shows up in comics. He's, so. he's basically like Cthulhu of the Marvel Universe. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. But, and, and, and you can definitely see in the, in the design of what, what is, what is he called? This thing called, uh, the, the soul sucker. He's, he's the, that dwell, the, he who dwells in the darkness. Yeah. The, the, dark, yeah. Shit. Um, but like, yeah, he's definitely like a whole of crafty and, you know, right. Right. Tentacle, crazy, you know, you stare at it too long, you go insane. <laughs> <laughs> but but these are a whole class of characters. Like, yeah. like, like mutants are an entire class of, you know, powerful, right. powered beings, uh, uh, powered humans on Earth. Um, there's an entire class of interdimensional characters 
And they only start to pop up when we start screwing around with jumping between dimensions and times. It's, it's like they're chilling in their dimension and all of a sudden two portals open up and something flies in between them. And it's like, hey, what was that? You know, <laughs> here we go. They're, 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 playing in, they're playing in our space now. So, well, I mean, so the interesting thing is, right? So like to, to kind of add on to what you're talking about in terms of calling out like all the different, like, like right, they had already established Okay, so we're basing the Marvel Universe on the tree of Isidril mm-hmm. um, um, from Norse mythology, and we have the nine nine realms. And they didn't quite explain what the nine realms were, but right. you know, but yeah. So now we know that I guess Talo is a pocket dimension that has nothing to do with the nine realms. Um, um, no, is it part of the nine realms? Right, right. Okay, I'm. I'm. It's still kind of fuzzy how Marvel yeah. how Marvel's going to play this. Well, and and, of, and that was another interesting thing I caught in the second watch was she she does actually make a very quick reference to we have other cities like there's yeah. this one little village that we're just here to like guard this this door but but we've got other crazy cities with technology you couldn't believe right so don't like don't get like you know we're not just the poor little rice farming village on a river right there's like so in theory, there's like these other Talo giant metropolises yeah. of some sort that have basically Chinese Asgardians. Right. <laughs> right. So what I think Marvel's doing um, is they're setting up, well, first of all, they're dragging everybody into the weird dimension of Marvel. Right. You know, uh, this is no longer... Kirby and then some. Uh, yeah, exactly. Once you get into Marvel weird, I'm I'm here for the ride. I've just yeah. I'm just like looking around, like y'all still with me? Everybody still here? Because <laughs> I, I expect some people to like you know jump off at some point. Like it got too weird for me. I I didn't I didn't know what was happening. But um, I, I think what they're doing with this and a lot of their storytelling is just putting out enough good, interesting breadcrumbs. Where it's like later on, if we have to tell a story, somebody in the back of the writer's room can go, hey, um, you know, back in uh, back in Ant-Man, we mentioned this and we never really right. came back to it. And it was kind of a background item. Could we use that? And, you know, right. some producer claps his hand, hot dog. You know, there we go. We got a movie. Um, <laughs> because there, there's so much, you know, out yeah. there right now. I don't think that they're consciously planning every little bit. I think they're just building out this tree that they can kind of say, okay, we want to go down this branch. Let's go down this branch. Let's move it here. Oh, we can make a, oh, Loki did really, really well. Let's build more on this side. You know, so. I I think you're right. But I do think they are very mindful about what, you know, I, I think they know they want to get into a certain type of thing. So they, yeah, you know. I mean, because we've seen them do this stuff before where, you know, like, you know, if you don't know the, you know, in the comics, you have, um, uh, the okay, like the Tesseract, the Cosmic Cube in the comics is actually completely separate from the Space Stone, mm-hmm. right? But they, in the, in the MCU, they kind of combine them into the same thing, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Like, so even like now, right, they've, they've kind of created a new version of the 10 rings. The 10 rings used to be kind of like the, um, the, the infinity stones. Every, right. every single ring had a different 
an ice power, a firepower, or whatever like that, right? Uh, and now they've turned them into these, um, you know, Southern Kung Fu bracers that, yeah, yeah, you know, don't have any kind of power set that is reminiscent of those rings. Yeah. But perhaps, I mean, you know, are they, are they tying that to some other, like, you know, famous goblets from the cosmic side of things or whatever? Right. You know, right. Yeah. Um, and if you remember, uh, I didn't think much of that theory earlier on, but if you remember back to Guardians of the Galaxy, they introduced the the Golden People. Um, yeah, that's right, Adam Warlock. Exactly. So that leads into yeah. Adam Warlock and possibly getting into Silver Surfer and Galactus area right. stuff. But that was like a major kind of thread that they didn't, you know, they just kind of left there. So that's one of those branches, and that's where that's what gave me credence. That's what gave credence to me for the bracelet idea. Um, but I'm kind of, I mean, we also know that they're, they're, the next thing up is Eternals, too. So they're getting into Deviants and, you know, the Celestials. So, like, there's there's room for all of those things to tie in or or fit into a tapestry. It's madness. That's, a, that's, a, that's <laughs> on there. It's, it's all madness, man. I am I am so here for it. Uh, what's funny is I don't even know how good it is. I just know that it's terribly exciting. So I'm super into it right now. Like, you know, when you were a kid and you saw Transformers for the first time, you were like, yo, it's a car and a robot. And it didn't matter how good it was. It was kind of the fascination of the whole thing happening. Now, totally. I love Transformers. Don't get me wrong. Don't flame me. Um, but there's so much going on with storytelling right now, and Marvel's at the front of it. Um, cool. We mentioned Bandersnatch a little bit. We mentioned, uh, like, you were talking definitely about what East-West Players is doing with, you know, doing plays and, you know, interactive kind of character-based cinema um, of sorts online. And this is all really wild for me, and I'm so there for it. What do you... As a creator, what are you kind of hoping for in the next several years? What am I like in terms of of in terms of where where do I want the evolution of story to go? Or or uh, you know, it's like 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 for me, I am finally uh, you know I'm I'm really happy to see a more yeah, I, I do like the singular story, mm -hmm. but I am really happy to see all these threads now where it's not like I sit down and watch one story and then stand up and press the off button. Like, right. that's the end of that. <laughs> I actually enjoy the the deep dives, the going into as deep as I want to with the Marvel stuff or, you know, going back into the history of X, Y and Z and throwing a twit answer a question out on Twitter or Facebook and right. being able to get. You know, so that's the social aspect that I that I wasn't able to get as much of as I wanted when I was a kid. Like, um, you know, I'd be in the comic book store and we'd talk about stuff for hours. You know, uh, Theo and I would be back, you know, back in our dorm rooms talking mess until 5.45 a.m. Knowing good and well we have a 7 o'clock test. Um, you know, because we didn't have access to all that information. Right, right. So... You know, I think for me, uh, I mean, you know, kind of coming back to something I said earlier on, right? Like, 
Like I, I got interested in pop culture, sci-fi, fantasy, superheroes, um, because because it was, as I saw it, um, a a pathway to intellectualism, because it was a vehicle with which mm-hmm. to talk about philosophy and politics and right. Yeah, and so even like even with this, right? I mean, we definitely have a story about grief and about how grief can. You know, one man's grief can create a black hole for all the people in his world, his family, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you also have uh, a very interesting undercurrent where for Shang-Chi's, you know, arc is a very recognizable um, acknowledgement of the Asian American experience where you have, you know, uh, a first generation American who has set out on his own life and created his own life for himself but is fighting back against um the will of his parents who have set out a whole other course for him right so there's a literalization of of that kind of generational battle that a lot of first generation or second generation um 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 asian americans face with their immigrant parents right yeah um uh uh and 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 i think that's something that sometimes gets lost in the discourse as we get too preoccupied by the canonicity and, you know, or, or, or even, or, or even like the, the, the long form serialized stories. Like, you know, I've talked about, um, there are things that I enjoy about the new Star Trek, uh, uh, discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, there are so many times when I'm just like, you know, you got so preoccupied with your season long arc and your serialized story that like this one idea about the universal translator breaking and suddenly this helmsman over here is speaking in Swahili and the weapons officer is speaking in like Indonesian and yeah. like, you know, the alien, the, you know, the alien is speaking in freaking clean or, you know, whatever. And no one can talk to each other except for this one alien who happens to know a hundred and seven different languages. Right, right. Right. And like, that is a great story episode. You can build a whole episode around just that. And it becomes a whole tower of Babel thing. And it becomes, yeah. you know, that, that thematic idea of what Star Trek was of, you know, how humanity maintains its best arts in the face of great technology and, you know, large, you know, larger than life discovery. Instead, it became about three minutes of the episode and a quick obstacle that is like instantly removed so that they can get back to the the plot that feeds into the, the you know, the season arc. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, that is such a lost opportunity. That should have been its own episode. Um, um, just the problem solving, right? Yeah. And that's something I, I feel like, you know, as we get into the canonicity and the long forms, like we miss these, these opportunity for allegory or, or smaller stories and problem solving and that's kind of something i wonder right like we we end the movie we end a tv show with the after credit scene that teases us to the next thing and we lose that sense of resolution Mm. the belief that problems can be solved and i wonder if that is part of what you're talking about in you know the clashing and and the and the you know pick a side in our culture right because it's no longer about problem solving it's it's about you know the anxiety of what's coming right yeah and, no, no. and so much of of you know 
some of that picking, picking of sides has to do with people dealing with existential anxiety, anxiety of what the government is doing to you or what, you know, the other political parties planning behind your back or, you know, what the education system is doing, you know, right. 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 All that built up anxiety. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's a, if that is a cause or a symptom, but it's definitely, I think, part of it. Right. Sure. Sure. It's, it's definitely going to be, um, definitely going to be interesting. And, um, I, I'm, I'm all here for it. So, so I, I think we've covered a good bunch of bounds and I actually have my notes <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Talking with Andy is easy. And I was able to jump pretty much to all the, <laughs> cause usually I'm with the guest and I'm like, oh God, how am I going to get to this? And he, that guy went off in that direction. How can I get it back? <laughs> um, but no, we, we, we did, we did great here, but, um, okay. So I, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to ask me, um, you know, as, as we're kind of closing up here, um, you know, you can, uh, drop it on me, uh, either. Um, I'm just actually just going to quickly look and see if there's any comments from the chat that I missed. Um, <laughs> wait on syndication. Yes. Yes. The old days of syndication. Um, yeah, uh, B said there was a whole thread on what Andy just said. I don't remember when I said that and you responded to it. So I don't, ah, sorry. We'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to argue about whatever in the group, right? Indeed. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, Al, um, I think we covered a lot of this. Uh, Al asked me, wanted to ask me a question, wanted me to ask you a question. Okay. And I think a good, no, we didn't really get to this. Um, so really quickly, Al asked. What is the role of taste in creativity? And, oh. and what he means by that, because I actually had a little back and forth with him. Yeah. What he means by that is, you know, you have your personal taste and you want to put your own, um, you want to put your own little seasoning on whatever you build. And there's also the taste of the audience, you know, where they have a certain idea and there's going to be a little tension between them. But as far as you are concerned as a creator, what does taste mean for you? There's like, what does taste <laughs> in terms of creativity? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, okay. For me, that's, that's difficult because I feel like I am ethically opposed to the concept of taste. Oh, right. Uh, no, that cause, no. and I feel like our internet world has has proven this. Right, is that there are niches of audience for everyone, no matter how good or how bad it is. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, just like there's a fetish for everybody, you can go on. You know, whatever. Uh, what's what's the what's the the you know and, and yeah, there's a porn site for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Um. um and so I think it's, you know, I think I am an inherently, you know, and some of our, our arguments end up rooting because I am just so anti-extremist anything. Sure. Right. Uh, uh, so that when like, you know, if someone or you <laughs> makes like a definitive hard statement, uh, I, I, I instinctually want to challenge it. That's where the, you know, that left something in it. Yeah, yeah, not not necessarily because I believe otherwise, just because, but more so because I, uh, I, I, I 
worrying is the wrong word. Um, I, I, sh- I, I don't know. I shy away against uh, most extremist opinions. No, I, and, I and that doesn't mean that I'm not guilty. I mean, yeah, like the, <laughs> like the last year that is a perfect example because I totally just like went, what do you mean this is bad? <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> it was just pleasant confusion for me. How dare you? <laughs> No, and I think I put some of those statements out there to um, provoke. I know, <laughs> not, not, not not to provoke, but just to say. Okay. Here's what here's what happened when I when I yeah. used to when I used to have discussions with people, and I would make a very nuanced statement. Um, it, it came across, and hey, maybe this is oh my gosh, taste seasoning. Ooh. Yes, this actually okay. works in this okay. example. It, I would put something out there. Without too much of this, without too much of that, it sometimes, oftentimes, came across as a little too bland. I and, you know, I people scroll by and they're like, I dig that. Okay, whatever. It's like, yeah, eh, whatever, that's his choice. You know, you just, you know, it's just kind of whatever. <laughs> but if I go in there and, as I said, I grew up around people, uh, you know, watching football or whatever. And, right. and they would just stand up and be like, that quarterback is trash. You know? so I'm like, all right, he's a professional. He's obviously gotten there for some reason, but you know, you just, it's great. Dusted him on. I try, sometimes I try to bring that energy, not in a, not an internet argumentative way, but just kind of in a right. So as I said, this goes back to people not being able to hear me say it real. Uh, but it's like, yeah, man, um, you know, this, this scene in this movie, uh, that was garbage. It should have been cut out. And then, <laughs> all, then, all, then, then I get people saying, I said, I don't know, man. They should have cut out the other scene instead. And we start having a dialogue. Right? Right. right. And this is how I grew up talking with my family, talking with my friends at school. You know, you'd come in and somebody would say, hey, man, I don't believe you spent money on those shoes. And everybody started laughing. <laughs> but we're all being friends about it. And we're all kind of in good spirits. And I was like, man, these shoes are hot. You don't know what's going on and so forth and so forth. Right, right. So now when I, now I do that, I'm learning to get better at not making, I don't, I don't want to get in that clickbait area, (laughs) but I really try to promote good discussion with something that's not bland. So yeah, you know, I think taste is important. Uh, Shout out to Zack Snyder's Justice League. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Some people say I have bad taste for that one, but <laughs> well, but I mean, okay. And to your credit, they look beautiful. Uh, really quickly, what's up, Richie? Yo, Kung Fu brother. Uh, but yeah, but like those, those shoes look gorgeous, right? And I was actually just talking with with someone who who basically is a Marvel critic. Like he's just bored of Marvel films, mm-hmm. and his 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 supposition was that um, at least DC is trying to like have cinematic style mm, yeah right and, and and i did challenge him a little bit because i'm like you can't say marvel doesn't have a style right uh because they do um it's just that after 25 movies you're getting tired of seeing the same style because ultimately all these movies have to look like they they fit in the same universe right, so right. Your, your second and third units are always the same guys they're all trying to shoot things, you know, within 
the realm of the same color palette, even if a director brings in their own flavor or their own pacing. Right. But they're still trying to make them feel like a cohesive universe. Um, I, I, but DC has been, well, honestly, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. So they're, made, they made, they're making broad swings, hey, right? Hey. And Snyder's making broad swings and making some beautiful images. Storytelling might be questionable. Uh, oh, no. There's a ton of questionable. So <laughs> I'm fully oh, there. Yes. Baby. <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, even even the the Aquaman movie, which is very fun, uh, and and honestly, definitely did go for for visual style above all else. You know, James Wan, you know, really kind of brought his kind of action, colorful. I mean, you know, you have Underwater Tron, right? <laughs> oh, I've never heard that phrase. The, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, with that, uh, and, and then of course, most recently, Suicide Squad, where you know James Gunn basically got a green light to to make a big budget trauma movie yes you know <laughs> so okay i get you there um i i get you and i think there's 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 good arguments to be had on both sides uh totally obviously and you don't want to do something that's too if you do something that's too out there you alienate you know some people who are expecting something familiar but you may move on and actually garner some new audience people. Um, it may be financially beneficial one way or the other. It could go either way in terms of financial benefit, in terms of your uh, social capital with your audience. Um, you know, like like I was saying, with the, I liked early on when I saw Ant-Man, how Ooh. that particular movie had such a different vibe than the rest of yeah. It was like, wow, this is so much lighter. It's it's funny. It's got this, you know, Paul Rudd kind of whatever. And, you know, people are like, you, you're into that? I thought you were into the killing and maiming. It's like, <laughs> like fuck yeah, man. Ant Man, let's go. Let's get more of that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I hear you on the taste aspect. That was a very good question, actually, from, uh, yeah, from Al. Um, what's the role of taste? How do I think about that? Uh, yeah. You, um, in the end, I mean, I don't know if there's a solid answer. You just gotta season up stuff enough, but not too much. Well, you know, I mean, well, because it's still convinced, you know, it, it, and I think it is. It's like your context has a lot to do with it too, right? What, where your taste is, you know, aligned. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, let me make a more definitive statement since you called me the definitive statement guy. Um, <laughs> the artist has to make his mark on it in the the confines of the canvas so I'll, I'll i'll put it that way because you know i think people are playing around a little too much and this list Ooh, let's do this and it's like i don't believe you did that um you're, you're out of control you're crazy but i i really like when somebody takes their confines and goes all the way as hard as they can within those boundaries so let me ask you this. What did you, what is your opinion of, and this is like, so I, so I do get a question. Good, good. Well, okay. So with that in mind, right. Uh, I know something that was very difficult for me to wrap my head around. Uh, when I was a visual arts student, my first year at UCSD. Okay. And uh, most of my professors were very into all of this kind of postmodern 
um, repurposed, reused, uh, uh, Basically, like freaking, like I don't know how many hours I sat there staring at Duchamp's urinal. I was like, "Oh, I, I was like, staring at uh, there, fucking urinal." <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like I, and 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 I, and I, I did get into a point where I'm just like, I got very frustrated with art you had to narrate or justify. Um, oh, okay. It, it, you know, as opposed to craft, right? To me, there's a certain amount of the craft mm-hmm. is the more more important thing um and most of my professors at that time were much more enamored with the 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 discourse of it sure all right like, so so you what's the actual I, okay now i got the setup what, right what are you looking for so 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 what is your take on that like to you does that align with your definition of taste in terms of uh, working with a canvas mm-hmm. or, or or repurposing canvases, um, or your canvas is more on an intellectual level. Uh, two things. I think the yes. the um, I think there is a strong context for having uh, you know the the canvas not just existing as a canvas, but the entire story behind it. Um, Mm. I saw a beautiful painting, or what I thought was a beautiful painting one time. It was all black. Um, It had this weird, like, almost reflective, kind of not lumpy, but not smooth texture. And I was like, Mm. you know, from a little while back, I was like, oh, what kind of paint is that? What a, you know, what, you know, what's going on here? you know, it's an all black painting. So if you're just seeing a picture yeah. on the internet, it's like another motherfucker made one of these dumbass paintings, whatever. <laughs> but I, and I, I totally rock with those if they have the right context and story. So I walked up to this. The painting was made of flies. Dead oh, flies. I've heard about this. So someone just showed me a photo of that, actually. Yeah. And I had never been disturbed by a painting in my life, you know, <laughs> where you, you get closer and you're just like, uh, you know, it's just like, <laughs> what the? and all of a sudden that it's a Damien Hirst piece. It tapped not only into the, um, you know, glitzy LA art, all of a sudden there's this thing, you know, yeah. so boom, it told me a story right there. And this is how crafty storytelling can be in the storytelling sense, not the physical creation sense. Uh, it tapped into the fact that this was a very high-end place and all of a sudden you got this there. The fact that it it um, did subversion in a way that I actually appreciated. Um, I know a lot of times I complain about subversion and, you know, whatever. But it worked for me this time. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's crazy. Um, I thought it was one of these regular black paintings and I, but it wasn't, it was whatever. And then of course, you know, Damien Hirst, uh, you know, I thought I knew all of Damien Hirst pieces and what they were about and everything. This took me off by surprise. So there were so many levels to just what this painting was doing for me. And it even did like a Marvel movie where it harkened back to um, his other works of art, right? where where he's had 
you know, like butterflies. Sure. <laughs> well, um, the one I was thinking about was where he had this uh, chamber where um, a cow was in one side and a nest of flies was in the other. And huh. what happened was, you know, the cow dies and you see all these flies kind of being born on the same day and, you know, hatching eggs and everything. You see them travel from one side to the other and all oh, those gosh. Things. Yeah, so there's flies on one side, a cow on the other, and it's pretty serene. As the time goes on, you know, the flies all move to the other side, so it becomes kind of this nasty mess in this clean, pristine box. So huh. it was kind of this weird thing, and he's played with flies and the movement of small things into larger spaces and death and decay. So this painting was hearkening back to all of that, and I was like, yeah, this is disgusting. Um, <laughs> so I, I said all that to say that, like, yeah, I really get into that style of things. Um, you know, Aubrey asked me, is my art about, you know, is my art inspired by video games? I'm like, absolutely not. My art is inspired yeah. by by life. My art is inspired by, um, in case you're wondering, uh, I had a, one of the references for this was a purple Tommy Hilfiger shirt that I had in element, uh, in middle school. <laughs> um, and you know, it's, it's got references to me and myself and how I think about things. Um, so, and the title of it is everyday royalty. Purple is kind of a colorful royalty, right? You know, if you bought a logo, it would just automatically be, that's your little version of royalty. Um, rockstar games, the, you know, at the time they were, uh, I was rockstar San Diego's official color is purple. A lot of stuff kind of went into that. So I definitely have a respect for the conceptual side of things. Um, I love the toilet, by the way. That was <laughs> the, the fact that they said, hey, man, just bring some art. And he was like, I hate, I hate all y'all. I hate the art establishment. I'm bringing in a fucking urinal. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Get mad? <laughs> they got mad. Exactly. So, right. I, and Raphael hates me for this because, you know, I'm talking about friends with disagreements, you know. Right. I was like, oh, shit, this is an awesome piece of art. And he'll, like, run up. What? What? what what's, what's going on? Like, no, you're like, you see that chair with one broken leg? That's phenomenal. You know? <laughs> and, and, and he's like, ah, oh, stupid, you know. <laughs> so that's my take on it. Right on. Yeah. Right on. All right, man. Uh. I don't know if you got anything else, but uh, I, I, w- I want to close this now. This has been good. Totally. Yeah. 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 Hey, so, um, so where can people find you? Uh, so I am uh, at Chinese Pirate underscore on pretty much all platforms, Instagram, uh, Twitter. I don't really tweet much, but I do, you know, everything kind of all my social media are linked. Uh, and I'm the Chinese Pirate on, uh, fa- on Facebook. You can also follow East West Players uh, at East West Players on most platforms and that was the company for which I work. Um, I will be speaking again on a panel discussion for the mixed Asian media fest, uh, a panel discussion about the, uh, creation process for theater. Uh, it's just called backstage right now. It's myself and a couple of, uh, theatrical designers. Um, um, and, uh, uh, I think, uh, two designers, a producer and myself as a uh, director, producer and casting director. So. Awesome. 
Yeah, man. Uh, cool. I'll definitely have all that information up in the show notes. I'm trying to get my pipeline together to get these out faster, so, but I should have this out pretty soon. Um, it'll be on Instagram TV immediately. So you can point your friends to this if they want to watch on Instagram. But as far as uh, YouTube and the podcast stream, I'll try to get that up as a as soon as Instagram makes it available for me. Um, <laughs> I, I said, as I said, I found a way to to get these, but it's not always immediate. They have to do some processing or whatever. So we'll see. Right. So oh, cool. Well, thanks for having me on, man. Well, definitely. It's always been a pleasure. Um, thank you. We will. I, I, I'm going to make the commitment to keep the story alive, you know, um, <laughs> and I'll do it from my point of view. You do it from your point of view. And I think we'll come together and make make some awesome uh, moves happen. Absolutely. All right, man. All right, man. Appreciate it. Uh, there should be a little close button or something down by the bottom. Okay. Oh, this is where it gets awkward. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Uh, I'm look. I'm looking for a close. No, hit the little camera button again. I think you can exit. Oh jeez. Leave. All right. Thank you, uh, everybody, for joining along. That was a fun session. Uh, Andy and I have been talking this creative nonsense for for a while now. Uh, we've had different points of view. I've come to his side. He's come to my side. We flip-flopped on different things. Um, so definitely uh, be sure to check him out. Uh, we have his links. Uh, Chinese Pirate is the Chinese Pirate underscore. As I said, if you're not already following him, go ahead and do that. And um, we're going to keep these going. So if you know somebody who'd be worth interviewing on a creative tip, uh, let me know. I want to do these about every week. Um, I do my normal sessions at, you know, as time goes on with Instagram, but every week I want to bring some special guests on at some point in the week. No scheduled time, just sometime during the week. We'll get them on. Anyway, that's been this one. It's been good. Thank you all. Please be sure to like, share, follow. Uh, if, you, if you're doing the YouTube thing and all that, make sure you search for Mr. Binge's ADD experiment experience. That's art, design, and development. I look for you there. Peace. Hey, thanks for joining me on this podcast. You all make everything I do possible, and I really do appreciate it. So even if you've got me on social, please visit MrBinja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, I'll see you next time. Peace.